Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this episode, I am joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have, I'm going to call it a spoiler-filled discussion about the uh, Fan Expo Dallas 2016 convention. We're going to record this in stages, as we often do with conventions. Uh, It is Friday evening, Mm -hmm. uh, June 3rd. We drove up from Austin most of the way to Dallas uh, last night, Um, then got up this morning, uh, finished off the drive, stopping off with some relatives uh, on the way. Well, let's back up a few days ago, because I learned a valuable lesson with this convention. We uh, made arrangements for our badges not terribly far in advance. No, I was thinking I was going to have some business travel that would have precluded this convention, yeah. actually. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we had looked at the website mm-hmm. when we made arrangements for the badges, and it said uh, starts Friday at 4 p.m. So, originally, we had thought we'll drive up Friday morning. Yeah. It's a four or five hour drive. And then we thought, well, if we broke up the drive Thursday night and Friday morning, we wouldn't be as tired from five hours in the car. And on a whim, I went to the website to see, well, what's the first panel Friday? Mm -hmm. Because if there's not a good panel till 7 p.m. Yeah, why rush? You know. Well, and that's a lesson I think we learned also with the Austin convention. Yeah, definitely. And this is something that I, I think is... Proving to be a more and more valuable lesson is keep watching the website to see how information changes and evolves as the event draws near. Because these guests, they, if they get offered a new job, they're going to take the job. And I, I want them to. I want them to work. Or in some cases, if shooting runs long, they may have to cancel. So yeah. depending who you're coming from, if it's one or two particular people... That may change. Yeah. And in this case, uh, William Shatner ended up being at the convention, from what I can tell, Friday only. And his panel was at noon today, which don't get me wrong, that's great. But let's go back to I said that the convention was announced when they planned it to start at 4 p.m. So we had been planning when we first said we were going to come up here to make sure we got here by 4 p.m. Which is basically after the morning rush hour in Austin. You know, head up, you get here around, I don't know, 2, 2.30 or something, you got plenty of time. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just glad that we kept following up with the website and seeing how their planning was evolving instead of having confidence in we had looked weeks ago. Because, you haven't told them the because yet, the Shatner panel was at noon. Yes. Well, I thought I mentioned that. Sorry. Shatner panel was at noon. And to guarantee that as many people as possible were in the auditorium because they knew people were expecting four to nine and it's a business day, they made it free to the public. Yeah. Which I respect. I think that was a wonderful thing to do. And Haley Atwell, um, Peggy Carter from Agent Carter and so many Marvel movies ended up, from what I can tell again, being here Friday only. Her panel was at 2.30. Mm-hmm. And because they weren't sure they would have been able to distribute all the badges by then, 
They went ahead and said, you know what? We didn't mark it as free to the public, but don't rigorously check badges of people going into the arena. Just let people in. Let people enjoy this panel because we told them they could get their badges by four. Well, and the irony was we get up here to the the hotel, which is just a couple of blocks away. uh, Seven blocks, we'll say. Give or take. A short Texas distance. Maybe by your standing. (laughs) I said Texas. Uh, we get here a little before noon, as we had planned, around, you know, 11.30 or something. Uh, obviously the hotel room wasn't ready, unsurprisingly, but we figured we'd check. Put the car in the valet, grabbed our backpacks, headed over to the convention center, um, and we were at the far, uh, I'm gonna say the right end, but it's, I'm not sure if it's east-west, I haven't got my bearings quite yet. But one far end, and the Shatner panel was at the other far end. Mm-hmm. But we were at the end where we thought we'd be able to pick up our press badges. Mm-hmm. And on the off chance that they had started passing them out early, it's let's go ahead and check and see what the option is. And we knew, yes, at that point we probably weren't going to get it. Fine, not a problem. So we do that. We uh, Obviously the room's locked. They're still setting stuff up, uh, as expected. Head over to the other side of the convention center for the, uh, the Shatner panel, mm-hmm. which I thought was... When, let's give the caveat to this. Of, and you started to mention it before I, I cut you off with why did we break up the drive? Why we do things the way we did? We have a cousin uh, who lives in the Dallas area. We don't see very often. So having a chance to visit with them this morning was a, a good opportunity. Yeah. Added bonus. So we had made time to see them on the way to the convention. So, you know, we did that. That's it also meant that we didn't have to be sitting in the car for five hours and then hit the convention. And there's no way we could have done that and gotten here for a noon panel. We would have had to go through Austin morning rush hour traffic, well, which would have been crazy. And we had considered, we've seen William Shatner before. Is this a must-attend a panel for us or not? But when we had seen William Shatner, and I'm blanking on, was it in- San Antonio. San- Thank you, San Antonio. That was one of my two guesses. Uh a horse of his had recently been through a crisis, and he seemed, I want to say, off kilter because of it. He had to put one of his horses down that he'd been, you know- Attached to. Attached to, and it was- it, it colored the, the whole panel. Yeah. Because he starts off with, you know, essentially an euth- uh, euthanizing or whatever your, your, your horse. A moral dilemma. Yeah. And- we were curious, was that just, you know, that's how he was then, or is that just the way he is? Yeah, we wanted to know, was that a typical panel for him in tone and style, or was it a one-off, rare? So, on the one hand, we've seen William Shatner before. In that respect, this wasn't a must-attend panel for us. But on the other hand, we wanted to know, had we gotten a fair impression of what William Shatner panel is like? My takeaway was that we did. Because I felt, first off, this was in the arena as part of the, uh, which is attached to what, the K... K K Bailey Hutchison. Hutchison Convention Center. I like the arena venue. And I particularly, uh, we went in there together twice, and the first time I suspected it, the second time I tried for it and we couldn't get it. I have a feeling, I think you succeeded later, that the upstairs may actually be the better section to sit in. Well, it's a, it's a sports arena kind of a thing, I guess. It seemed like a small sports yeah. arena. Uh, but we were on the, the floor where they had a stage set up. And they had higher, you know, a second level, uh, second story seating or whatever. That goes up to the rafters. Um, and later I did get in there at one point. But 
what I felt like with the uh, the Shatner panel, because he starts off essentially explaining why he didn't go to Leonard Nimoy's funeral. Mm-hmm. Which was actually a segue into why he's here today only. Yeah, Same doing basic stuff reason. for the Red Cross and doing things without your name attached. That's important. That'll last forever. And mm-hmm. You know, on the one hand, I get it. But on the other hand, it did feel like you're starting off with an excuse as to why somebody you've essentially co-starred with for 50 years, you didn't go to their funeral? Yeah. So, a little odd start. But what got me was it was mainly Q&A. Mm-hmm. Everything was a life lesson to be had. Mm-hmm. And deep and philosophical and things of that sort. And there's nothing wrong with that. He had some valid points here and there. There are a few other places I felt he was just rambling a little. But I felt it was very similar in tone to the the time we'd seen him in San Antonio. Yeah. I'm glad we saw him. I had fun. Yeah. He's very entertaining. But he's also one that is not on my must-see list going forward. There are others. It's like, man, it's it, it's a mistake to miss him. It's ah, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Um. So after that, uh, we we had a lull in the schedule. Honestly, we did because that finished at about twelve forty. Mm-hmm. And now let's keep in mind because the exhibit hall floor wasn't opening until at the earliest two. But William Shatner had this brief window today before he had to leave for this Red Cross event. He did autographs in the arena instead of, and he has pictures being sold at the entrance to the yeah. arena. So he didn't even go to the exhibit hall floor to do his autograph session. So arguably, he was at the convention without going to the convention. Yeah. It, it was a very interesting situation of trying to give the people who wanted to see William Shatner and paid to see William Shatner what they were coming for while working with his schedule which prevented him from doing it. And the funny thing is, it reminds me of when I saw him on a celebrity wheel of fortune because he wasn't there for the entire half hour recording of wheel of fortune and halfway through the game they said william shatner has had to leave to go do something else and now his slot at the wheel is being taken by this other celebrity and the money will be divided between their two charities you know on the one hand i get it but on the other hand if you make a commitment to do some of these things you make a commitment to do some of these things it comes across to me though as a he wants to do as many things as possible for as many people as possible. And I appreciate that. I applaud that. But he, he's not really doing all of those things. He's doing parts of all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. It it leaves an odd feeling. It, it's a quandary. It's There is no right answer. I just... Yeah. Some of the decisions he's made, I, I find interesting. When I had been seeing the promotions that were saying William Shatner will be here and Nichelle Nichols and... um, George Takei. Thank you. But there, to my knowledge, was no group photo op with three of them. And I'm sure there are lots of people who look forward to the group photo ops. I'm not surprised there's not a group photo op with them. I wouldn't kind of expect that. I think... um, I don't know how... Mm. I don't know what Nichelle thinks of, of the others, but... Shatner seems to be a little polarizing at times. True. That's very true. So, uh, I know George Takei's panel is Sunday. I don't know about Nichelle's. I have a nagging feeling it's Saturday, because I remember thinking they had put one on each day to kind of divide that out. So, the uh, original Trek fans would be coming every day of the con. 
Okay, well, I need to then go over the schedule for tomorrow a little better. After we finished with the Shatner thing, we headed back over to the other side of the convention center, see if they were open early uh, for the badges. They were not. And that was before we had found out that Haley's would be a- open to the public. Yeah. Uh, scoped out the uh, the food options over by the Omni Hotel, which is attached. I think we may have found some stuff, uh, some options for tomorrow. Don't know. We'll find out. Uh, but then, like you said, we had a lull because it was about 1, one fifteen, and the panel was until 2.30. Mm-hmm. So they had a lot of seating areas out in kind of the lobby area. Huge lobby, by the way. Huge lobby with a nice food court that was not yet open. Yeah. You could read menus, but it was difficult for me to find a place to buy a bottle of water at that point. We chilled out for a little bit. Uh, I was hitting the Find Me Gluten-Free, just, again, scoping out food options. And then we hit the Haley uh, Atwell panel. Uh, she played Peggy Carter and Agents uh, uh, Carter and uh, the Captain America movies. Uh, that, again, was in the arena. I thought she did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was very much um, not trying to, to pitch other projects for, for Agent Carter, but... Uh, very willing to do them. It well, had some great ideas. It's very clear that she enjoys the character because she feels she's gained personally not just work from the character, but there are aspects of the character that she's brought into her personal life in a positive way. Well, and that the character struck a chord. Yeah. And the cast and crew really gelled. Yeah. They still keep in touch on a daily basis, it sounds yeah. like. So she had some really good answers to a lot of questions, a lot of good things to say, interacted well with the audience. I thought the moderator did a good job on that panel. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Talked about her upcoming show a little bit, but not too much. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, answered uh, tons of questions on, you know, where would she like Peggy Carter to go? Mentioned a few times, the origin of S.H.I.E.L.D. hasn't been told. Seems kind of important. Yeah, yeah. And just mentioned that since Peggy Carter has been established as having lived so long, they could do uh, Peggy in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, which frankly, I think we'd mentioned on one of our podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the decade by decade. Um, so I thought that was a really fun panel. Yeah, she did really well with that. Now, after that, uh, they also mentioned a, a few other things on that panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the spoiler for the latest Captain America number one, uh, Steve Rogers, that came out. Yes. That kind of annoyed me a little. The book's nine days old. Yeah. But okay, fine. Uh, and there was also mention of a lip sync battle. Apparently she did with uh, Clark Gregg. Yeah. Uh, Agent Coulson. Uh, we got to check that out. That sounds like fun. After that, we headed back to the other side of the convention center to actually pick up our press badges because it was now time that they would be open and be able to do that. So by this point, we've crisscrossed the convention center a couple of times. I have no idea how big the convention center actually is, but once you've walked across it, round trip, three times, it feels really big. By that point, we'd done it four. Because <sighs> we'd started at this point, gone to Shatner and back, gone to Peggy Carter and back. We, we walked a lot. Yeah. Uh, after we had picked up the badge, we then headed into the exhibit hall, um, walked around there. And it's the the funniest thing, because I've been to quite a few conventions, and I guess I've just gotten old and really set in my ways, because what surprised me, and I hadn't really looked at the uh, exhibit hall floor map prior to to going in there, normally the aisles kind of, and they seem to sort of do it in places here, run front to back of the hall. Mm -hmm. You go in one place, it's, you know, um, very wide left to right, very shallow 
from where you stand entering to the back wall. Mm-hmm. And the aisles usually go that way, so you can see in the back. Here, the aisles predominantly go kind of that left to right, crosswise. Yeah. Which means if you're not careful, you wind up walking back and forth half the length of the convention center. Yeah. Versus just kind of zigzagging up and down if you want to stay on one side of the hall or another. It just, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Maybe it isn't a big deal, but it was, I found it really awkward. It Be- felt like you were doing a lot of walking. Yeah. You were going down really long things and trying to figure out, well, where should I be U-turning? It didn't make, there wasn't an obvious place to be kind of tackling things in bite-sized chunks. And there were a lot of corner booths, a lot of booths where they had kind of the perimeter and you go inside. And depending where they had the opening, if it was on the front to back aisle or the left to right aisle, main aisle, you know, you you may not really ever get a a good opening if you want to have – I go with the shortest optimal path kind of approach to walking the hall because I'm lazy and out of shape. Um, And this one, kind of hard to do that. Yeah. Uh, found a lot of comic book stuff over on, um, I guess, Hall C. Um, there was a lot of pop vinyl mm-hmm. type, quite a few toys and things like that. Uh, did not make it all the way through the, the hall. We had about two, hour and a half to, to, to walk the hall, I guess. Yeah, about an hour and a half. Because I went to the, uh, five o'clock Jenna Coleman panel. She played Clara on, um... Doctor Who for uh, three seasons. Um, she had just flown in, like literally just flown in, it, it seemed like. Her panel was over at the arena. Apparently, they have um, uh, premium badges. Mm-hmm. They were lining them up downstairs to get into the arena. And if you don't have that, and I had a press badge, so I didn't have that. They're like, well, the the regular people go upstairs. And it's like, oh, okay, fine. I, I want to check out the upper deck of the mm-hmm. the arena. I actually had a great view. was very pleased. Um, she gave a really good uh, panel, a lot of Q&A. They had the head of programming for the local PBS station uh, moderating, and he did a good job. There are a few things where he, I think he was just a little nervous being in front of a large live group, and I, I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, I've seen better moderators. I've also seen much, much worse. He did good. Uh, she had a lot of good questions, got a lot of – she had a lot of good answers, had a lot of good questions, a few awkward ones. The typical, which was your favorite doctor, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, mm-hmm. to which her first replies, Peter's here. You know, yeah. <laughs> kind of a, this is like asking the favorite child sort of a thing. It's unanswerable. Yeah. Which she then quickly followed with David Tennant, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was funny. Because uh, she's actually worked with Capaldi, Matt Smith, thanks to the 50th anniversary episode, John Hurt during his entire run mm. as the war doctor, pretty much. And... um. Uh, 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 David Tennant for that. But what really surprised me is by the time I was out of there and uh, checking signals with you, it was 5.35, 5.40? Yeah. It was a short panel. Yeah. The ones in the arena seemed to be running about 40 minutes, and they cleared the room after each panel. It just seems like if you're getting that big of a star, that many people, 40 minutes is short. Yeah. 50, okay. Hour and 15, I could even see. It's maybe rough on the the, the, the person on stage, mm-hmm. but it just felt like I had spent almost as much time in line, and I didn't spend that much time in line, than I actually spent listening to the person. Yeah. So I was a little frustrated with that, uh, but then we checked signals, and uh, it was, 
uh, the the Jeremy Bullock panel. He played Boba Fett. Um, he's not as young as he used to be. No. Again, playing Boba Fett back in, what, 77, 80, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, but still was giving uh, some really good answers to what it was like to do that, you know, how it's kind of changed his life and, and things like that. Apparently, he also, he was scheduled to do it with the uh, the kid who played the young Boba, Boba Fett in the prequel movies. Or as he called him, Baby Fett. Baby Fett. Um, and he's been kind of mentoring him on how to play Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that that actor couldn't make it because of professional commitments, which sounds much li- nicer than saying he couldn't make it because of unprofessional commitments. Yeah, really? But I, I, I don't know what the, <laughs> the guy is doing, but uh, he couldn't make it, so it was just him. And then that kind of overlapped with the other panel we wanted to go to. So after, what, about a half hour of the uh, Jeremy Bullock, we then went about two doors down. These were in the smaller ballrooms mm-hmm. uh, near the arena, but not in the arena. Um. And we went to the Katie Cassidy panel. A mm-hmm. um, lot of spoilers in that panel, too. Kind of unavoidable in some cases. But they weren't just Arrow spoilers. There was a major Flash spoiler. Her appearance there? or No, no. What happened in the final few minutes? Oh, yeah, yeah. The season finale stuff. You know, it was funny because the moderator there was the same one who did the um, Haley Atwell and Shatner panels. And the Haley Atwell one again had a, a spo- major spoilers for the current uh, Captain America storyline that just started. And his comments in the Katie Cassidy was along the lines of how big of a fan could you be if you haven't experienced that part of the story, yet you're here at the panel. Mm. And on the one hand, I kind of get that. On the other hand, I completely hate that answer or that that attitude because I am a fan. Okay, now I'm not the type to go spend $100 on, on an autograph or something like that. I'm not that kind of rabid fan. I, instead of that vertical uber obsession on one thing, I got more of that horizontal yeah. uber obsession across many, many, many things. Yeah. As listeners of the podcast uh, probably well know, I'm all in on the Marvel Universe. I'm all in on the DC Universe, the Valiant Universe, uh, getting a ton of books from Titan, uh, a couple from Dark Horse, a number from Image, some other publishers. And watching Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that we're half a season behind on, Gotham that we're most of the season behind on, uh, we're at least a season and a half behind on Scandal. I've recently caught up on um, Once Upon a Time. We're, I think, current-ish on 12 Monkeys. Mm -hmm. We've got the last four episodes of Castle to watch. Uh, We've got, I think, the last... Six maybe of Brazilian Isles that finishes Castle in Brazilian Isles, plus a couple other things. I mean, that's just off the top of my head. Yeah, what I'm keeping current with. Plus, you know, there's the Captain America movie, the Deadpool movie that we've watched. There's uh, the X Men uh, Apocalypse movie that just opened. We're a few weeks away from like three or four other major movies opening, and I've got a full time job. And I do the podcast releasing three episodes a week. Yeah. So this whole, oh, you're not enough of a fan because you haven't read this particular story that, you know, somebody thinks you should have read or or watched at that point. It's like, you know, yeah, back off a little on that. You know, yeah. and I get they can't control spoilers in this sort of a venue. But the, uh, the expectation everybody's current on everything is a little, uh, little crazy, I think. Yeah. It's, I find it certainly off-putting. 
which is part of why with the Weekly Comics Spotlight, I announce a week in advance what we're doing. We have show no- uh, notes with with time codes. We're very upfront in our movie and TV ones are spoiler episodes, so you know going in what we're going to cover. Yeah. Uh, we try to play fair on that. Yeah. And again, when you've got random people uh, asking unknown questions at a mic, yeah. you can't avoid it. And he was kind of upfront. It's like, yeah, I spoiled it, but she was going to do it anyway is kind of a thing. A little bit of a cop-out, but also the truth. Yeah. Um, I thought she did a, a, a pretty good panel, uh, uh, Katie Cassidy. We had seen her in- Austin. Was it Austin or was it San Antonio? It was Austin. Austin. Very different point for her now from then, because that was a good couple of years ago. Yeah, when we saw her in Austin, she had just gotten um, Sarah Lance's jacket. Ah, right. It was after like first season or something. It was her maybe early into second. Yeah. So it was at least two years ago. She's grown a lot as an actress. Uh, the character, of course, has had a lot go on. Um, there were a couple of times I thought she gave some really good answers. There were a couple of times where it seemed like the answer, there was a blurring of lines of, of her and the character. Because she's very much a get into the heart and soul of the character, feel what the character is feeling. Yeah. So what the character goes through, she kind of goes through. Yeah. Um, and very, you know, happy and proud to have done what she's done. On mm-hmm. the show, uh, no real mention of what she's what's what's in store for her next. Yeah. Um, whereas again, Haley Atwell had talked about you know her next project, um, and it may just be that it what what uh, Katie Cassidy's but, doing is just not ready to be announced. But the other thing anything. I think is uh, Agent Carter had finished filming and had no third season on the books when pilot season filming began. Mm-hmm. Whereas Katie Cassidy was in the grind of filming Arrow and didn't necessarily know her character wasn't she returning. She didn't necessarily have the lead time to get something set up so quick, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also the difference between part of an ensemble versus the title character. Yeah. Because I think ABC was looking for something else to do with Haley Atwell. Yeah. And said, hey, we've got this. But it's uh, very much all of the, the people... Uh, on the panels were were there for their fans, appreciative of their fans, certainly didn't seem to take them for granted or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel some of them had, with Shatner's, there's, there's always the, the question of, did I answer your question? Is that enough? Can I stop talking and move to the next? And he always ends with, thank you, which is very much a... Both a thank you for asking, but also a, and now I'm letting you know I'm done answering and the next person should ask a question. Yeah. So, yeah, while Shatner has that kind of sign off on the, the, the question sort of a thing, I felt uh, both Haley Atwell and Jenna Coleman were a lot more kind of interactive and kind of, I don't say in the moment. I think they have the advantage of being much, much younger mm-hmm. um, and a little bit more, I don't say in the thick of things. But also, I think having done this kind of 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 uh, Q and A a lot, and also just being used to a little bit more frenzy in their lives, yeah. Because it's it's you know you're on the stage. It's like okay, where's the next question? You're, there's a complete switching of gears from person to person. It can be a little you know uh, uh, tough to keep up with some of that sometimes. Oh, definitely. Um, and uh, Jeremy Bullock, uh, I think you said his, he, he mentioned his hearing aid battery was low. Yeah. Because he was definitely having problems hearing. And he, he was very upfront about that. When, 
But the moderator was also doing a good job of kind of recapping the question for him mm-hmm. and saying this is what they're asking. Because sometimes the questions aren't always phrased great. Yeah. Well, and part of that is the person comes up to the mic really nervous, really excited, and a jumble of words comes out. There was at least one person, it must have been in the Jenna Coleman panel, that I'm pretty sure had an index card with the question written down. Nice. I thought that was good. Yeah. There was also at least one person who had the, I'm going through, I was going through a dark time, your character helped pull me through, mm-hmm. and the Jenna is kind of like, thank you? Kind of, is there a question there? What am I supposed to do here? Kind yeah. Of, yeah. You know, there was also, uh, when that moderator started the panel, something I've seen people that are inexperienced with interviews do, and it's, they'll, they'll, they'll ask a question. And then follow up with some more comments. And it's like, well, do you come in with an answer? No, wait, not quite yet. Okay. And it gets hard for the other person to mm-hmm. know, when's it my turn to actually respond to this? Yeah. Or they will say something, which isn't really a question, but it was meant to solicit comment. But it's unclear because of past behavior. Are you done talking yet? Yeah. So. Well, Haley Atwell did, learned a little lesson during her panel. British sarcasm does not necessarily mix with young children at the microphone very well. Yes, yes, there was that. <laughs> and there was, she announced uh, or made a comment of somebody directing something, and the moderator made it sound like nobody knew that. Yes, yes. And I don't know, maybe it's not. And she's like, oh, maybe I gave away, you know, something I shouldn't have, kind of a, you know, so I can erase that off all your phones. Yes, it was funny. Yes. But there were, it was a lot of fun for the panels and such. Uh, looking forward to uh, quite a few of them tomorrow. Yeah. Good lineup tomorrow. And uh, still haven't made it to Artist Alley. Probably walked eh, half the floor, maybe two th- a third, two thirds. I don't know. I'd say half. Okay. Um, so a lot more to do tomorrow. We're hoping to meet up with uh, Derek Royal from the Comics Alternative. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's up in the Dallas area. He's always fun to hang out with. And um, yeah, at the end of tomorrow, we'll uh, record some more. Sounds good. So it is Saturday night. We've just gotten back to the hotel from another day at uh, Fan Expo Dallas 2016. We started the day with... um, Normally we start the day at the hotel with a breakfast. But again, dietary restrictions, certain hotels, the breakfast, eh, not so friendly to that. Uh, which we knew when we booked this hotel was a risk. Uh, this is one that sometimes you get like a boiled egg kind of an option with cereal. Other times you get something a little more. This was getting something a little more, but it had, you know, just risks involved. So we skipped that. Hit um, 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven on the way. Picked up some uh, chicken jerky-ish sort of a thing. that actually worked out reasonably well. I also picked up some chips that I think I still have in there. Um, but that uh, had some of that during one of the lulls in the day to get me through. Um, but as we were starting to walk down, got a little bit sprinkled on, really heavy mist almost, light sprinkle. So as far as rain went, we've gotten very, very lucky. Yeah. I was afraid we'd be walking a couple of blocks in torrential downpour, monsoon sort of a thing. That's because you read the forecast. Yeah. So we got down to the convention center. We uh, walked through the Pioneer Park. Yes, the Pioneer Park, which is a cemetery kind of right there in the, the courtyardish area of the convention center. 
Um, and then uh, we, I think, split ways at that point and walked the floor. Uh, we walked with Derek. That's right. We met up with Derek and walked the floor. I was trying to remember if you had split off by that point or if uh, no one you hadn't, you'd stay with me. It's been such a long day. It has. Um, but walked a lot of the floor again. With its layout, it was easy to kind of miss some stuff on the first go-round. Actually made it through uh, Artist Alley. You know, I made this comment to you uh, soon after we finished Ars Alley, and maybe now with time to think through Ars Alley, you may have a better answer. I felt like we saw, uh, I don't want to call this fan art, because that's definitely the wrong expression for it. But we saw artists who had done renderings of Stephen Amell's Arrow mm-hmm. and Oliver Queen, uh, certainly the DC TV Flash. Um, de- lots of the Marvel movie characters, the Captain America, the Iron Man. There, there's got to be a term uh, for this, and I'm not sure what it would be, because it's basically stuff that is kind of celebrating what's popular in culture right now from the TV shows and the movie. And that's an excellent expression for what I'm what I'm talking about and what I'm seeing. And I guess what I want to comment on and what I'm hoping you'll tell me is my gut right or wrong on this. I saw a couple, but not many, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. Uh, Wonder Woman pieces of art. Yeah, Wonder Woman pieces of art, plural. There you go. Um, not all that many of Superman, but some. Yeah, a few. And a few Batman. Um, more Gotham. More Gotham than I would say Batman in some places. Certainly quite a bit with the Avengers and some of the Marvel characters. Um be if you had to pick for this category of art between Batman versus Superman and a civil war captain civil america war. civil war absolutely captain america civil war yeah it's interesting because as i walk through an artist alley like this and look at that kind of art a lot of it is a particular each artist is trying to sell you their work based on what they think is kind of popular in the mainstream pop culture right now which makes mm-hmm. sense smart move and some of it is a little more, t- I don't say timeless, but a little earlier, longer lived type stuff, Doctor Who or, you know, Star Trek or stuff like that. Others are very much, this is what's popular with the most recent movies, Captain America, Civil War, whatever. And what I found is with some of the artists, I really like the style. Maybe not the particular piece of art. Maybe it's not got a great compositional layout or it's just kind of. Not generic, what you're looking for. Not what I'm looking for, for whatever reason. But then there are others where I really like the layout, the concept, but not so much the execution. Yeah. And for me, I don't really have anywhere to display or feel the need to display, you know, original art. That's true. For me, in some respects, walking our Sally is like going to a museum. I really enjoy seeing these great works of art and appreciating them on the wall being mm-hmm. displayed, but I don't need to take every museum piece home with me. Well, yeah, exactly. I enjoy the talent. Some of it requires uh, the inventiveness of some of the concepts. Wow, I mm-hmm. hadn't seen that sort of idea before. That's clever. I like that. That's good. Or I see the germ of a good idea, even if I don't care for the style or I love the style, but not the what they did. There was an artist, and I wish I had gotten his name. Uh, I think he was the last one we stopped by in Artist Sally. Uh, what I really liked about what he'd done was he had, like... Oh, with the silhouettes. 
That was the one. And then the logo, if you will, for the character behind them kind of He would have like the iconic Superman pose pretty much all in black with the the recognizable shape of the character Mm -hmm. and the S logo on the silhouette. Yeah. In an appropriate background, or you'd have the same thing for Batman or something like that. It was one of the few where kind of the combination of the concept and the execution really worked for me. Well, and what I keep thinking as I think back on that is for someone like me who doesn't read the comic books, but comes from the TV and the movie side of it, whether I'm thinking of Christopher Reeves as Superman or George Reeves as or Superman. Or Tom Willing or, you know... Uh, um, Dean Kane. Dean Kane. Whoever I'm thinking of, that one piece of art felt like it captured all of it. Yeah, it captured the core of the character without any particular incarnation of the character. Yeah, and I, which is part of what I liked about that artist's work. Yeah, we may have to go back and figure out which artist that was tomorrow. Yeah, that was really powerful. There was another one that we stopped and chatted in front of for a bit, and we were far enough back from the table that it wasn't a we're engaging with the artist sort of thing. And I forget what the first two pieces of art were, but the third one was like some of the characters from Young Justice that I was trying to point out to you and some stuff like that. And it was one where I liked the basic stuff. If it's the one I'm thinking of, there was one with a red background that was Iron Man with kind of his half of the Civil War. It was the two halves of the Avengers stuff. Yeah, the and Civil the, War. a blue background for Cap and his half. There was another one to the right of those because the Young Justice was to the left. Mm-hmm. And, and the right, the one on the right was another team up. I just can't remember. And it may have been a Justice League or it might have been the Titans or something. Titans or mm-hmm. Justice League, one of the two. And it was one of those we were having a discussion. Here's some of the characters. I was trying to educate you a little on some of this, whatever. And the the artist and I guess his girlfriend or wife or whatever was kind of they were I guess chuckling along as you were doing that, and the artist was more drawing than than listening. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I basically, you know, commented, hey, I like the stuff, you know. Really or great whatever. work. Yeah. Uh, to which the, the girlfriend or wife was like, thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. And of course, at this point, I'm noticing the signature of Tommy. Yes, yes. I'm thinking, that's not her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she's just nodding along like, if you want to give me credit for the art, I'm happy to take it because it's beautiful work. And then as we're going down the aisle and rounding uh, the edge of it, you lean over and tell me that, She's telling her boyfriend, who's asking her, the artist, what's, what's going on. She's like, yeah, I just took credit for your work. <laughs> He's looking up around going, what just happened? I was, was busy drawing. Yeah, what's he, was, he was working. Yes, yes. It was funny. No, there are a couple of uh, good artists there. It's just a lot of it, again, I'm not really in the market for original art. I feel a little bad about that at times. Mm, I share that feeling. But I'm also open to being in the market. If there's something, it's like, wow, that's really good. There was only one booth in our Sally that had something going on. I've seen it at others, other conventions, and it always gives me pause. Uh, they had the art lit beautifully. Don't get me wrong, beautifully. But it gives me pause because I don't think I could light art as beautifully as they do. Are these are the at lithographs home. that really kind of pop the colors. They do. Yeah. But they pop because of how well lit they are. And I can't help but think, would that, that look as good on my wall where I'm not going to light it anywhere near as effectively? Yeah, I, I wonder about that. There was one artist that was clearly using computer generated stuff. Mm reasonably effectively and it got me thinking you know hmm i wonder if i played around with some of the art mm-hmm. stuff on the computer could i 
do mm-hmm. something like that. The reality is no, I'm not that talented. There was also another where it had kind of the lenticular holographic mm. kind of 3D-ish, to which I take a look at that, already start getting nauseated because I am apparently that susceptible to motion sickness at times, particularly in a wildly chaotic kind mm. of con environment. Um, but all in all, I mean, they had some some interesting people in there. Um, this artist alley was not strictly uh, put pen to paper art, if you will. Uh, it there was some crafts. There was yeah. some some novel writers, novel writers, um, other things of that sort. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there was a soap maker. <laughs> that one surprised me. Yeah. A belt maker. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't want to refer to it as an artist section to the full extent of arts and crafts, but it it was a much broader description or inclusion to the word artist. I definitely think anyone going to one of these conventions, whether they're in the market for original art or not, whether they're into comics necessarily or not, and I imagine most of the people listening to this probably are to some degree, but maybe we've got listeners that are just in for the TV and the movies type stuff. Totally possible. If you go to a convention, go ahead and go through Artist Alley, look around, see what there is. Maybe you'll find absolutely nothing, but it's not that much of a time investment. And if you find something cool, because there's also a clockmaker at the other end of the hall, there was somebody doing some some other 3D kind of art, you know, not 3D as in 3D printing or 3D graphics, but like clay sculpture kinds of things of the Wonder Woman logo or whatnot. There's just a lot of interesting stuff to find at these conventions. Some of these drawings are photorealistic, and it just amazes me. Some of the uh, Captain Americas, the Thors. There are a couple, man, when they hit the likeness, it's dead on. Yeah. There are others, uh, they didn't hit the likeness. But, you know, hey, give them time, maybe they'll get better, or maybe that's not what they were going for. Yeah. And maybe that's not what some people want. Yeah. So, again, I know kind of what I'm looking for, what I'm not looking for. And to me, it's not like I'm going looking for a particular thing. It's just, do I find something? And at one point, I did go to conventions actually getting commissions and stuff. But then when I moved and lost all those, kind of the joy of that went away. Hmm. Well, the section that we wandered after our Sally is a section that part of me wishes more conventions had. Because it was an area of floor space that... I think they refer to it as being dedicated to um, communities. Yeah, it was community uh, area. I forget exactly what they called that. It's where the 501st is and stuff like that. But as we wandered it, there was the Ghostbusters truck. Uh, there was a shield vehicle. There were a lot of photo op places. Yeah, I just pulled the map out of my, my backpack. Community zone is what they called it. And it was interesting because, like you said, it had backdrops it had uh areas for photos of of particular genres there was a walking dead area like you said a tardis um creatures from one of the star wars planets it's a great place for the cosplayers and the non-cosplayers certainly but a great place for the cosplayers to go get their photo ops what got me was how crowded that area Mm. was how many photo bubbles we hit in the aisles yeah and I find the cosplay stuff interesting. I recently uh, ordered from DCBS and got it, the uh, the Overstreet Guide to Cosplay. Oh, interesting. Because I'm curious about yeah, yeah. This, this thing, because I think it's really come into its own seriously over the last decade or so. And one of the things I noticed this year, and I don't know if it's a thing, and if it is, I'd like to see it squelched because it annoys the heck out of me. I encountered at least two people, I would say, are cosplayers. 
Um, one of them was in kind of a military-ish, uh, like they were part of SG-1, but didn't have that insignia, so I don't know what they were from, but I'm going to assume they were cosplaying. Um, but they, in one of them, I think you were with me when we hit, I forget what she was dressed up with, but she had in her bag or her purse, her phone playing her this, soundtrack, her soundtrack of whatever she was. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's, you know, a portable little exhibit or whatever, but it's one of those as I'm walking down the hall trying to talk with somebody or just, I don't know, think, mind my own business. And then suddenly this, this noise barrage comes by. It's, it's annoying. Well, nobody can hear much of anything for a five foot radius. Well, and it's one of those that, in addition to having the photo bubble, you've got now a little sound bubble traveling. Yeah. And it's like it it did nothing to me to explain who or what she was. Yeah. And the irony is if the music did, I probably wouldn't have needed it. Yeah. You know, I don't need stormtroopers walking around with the bah, 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 you know, kind of yeah, yeah. Imperial March going. Yeah. Um, or Trek guys with the, 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 the Trek score going. It's incredibly easy for people to do with their phones and whatnot. It's just why? Yeah. So again, don't know if that's a, a thing. I encounter two people doing it, so I'm assuming it is. When cosplay has reached this interesting point where now there's cosplay fabrics, and by that I mean Yaya Han has her, She's got own, her own brand, brand and there line of fabrics. Name cosplayers. There's a cosplay alley in this yes. area that had uh, 15 booths, maybe, yeah. of name cosplayers well you can go to any joanne fabrics in the country and get these cosplay fabrics and i keep meaning to go and look and see them because the samples they had up at c2e2 i mean you had the mermaid scales and stuff it looked fascinating and by all means i think some of the people who do this have unbelievable talent. Yeah. One of the ones we saw in, I think it was either the the community zone or near Cosplay Alley, was Groot. Amazing. This is a guy who was apparently had stilts on under the costume, whatever. But it was a really, I mean, this is uh, not the CG Groot, but pretty close for a practical effect. Yeah. And uh, people were taking photos. It was wonderful. It was great. Yeah. You know, and I look at that level of stuff. I look at the... The ones that are truly in some, whether it's literally their profession or not, are a professional grade cosplayer. Definitely see those walk on the floor and in some of the booths. And I get the quality, the technique, the style, the the effort that takes. And I think they should be rewarded for that. I also see other people where the costume they put together. I saw one, I forget which panel it was in, but it was a girl who basically had brown pants, white shirt, red suspenders, and a fez. Mm. Might not have even had the bow tie, but it's like, that's Matt Smith's doctor. Very simple. Now, see, I saw one that, on the one hand, I understand what message she was sending, if you will, but I don't know what character she was playing. Did you notice, and we'll get to this in a minute. Um, Uh After we walked there, we walked through the autograph area, and Mm -hmm. we wound up later uh, meeting up again with Derek. Um, We chatted with him, but then we headed to the uh, Peter Capaldi Uh panel. Was that the one where we all sat upstairs? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. Did you notice the group of people that was about two or three aisles uh, rows in front of us? I mean, I saw that they were wearing stuff and when they left, but it didn't register with me what they were. They were the Scooby gang. Oh, okay. An all-female version, I think, including somebody dressed up as Scooby. 
Well, it was when we left that panel that someone was coming in wearing a flesh-toned swimsuit that had black bars. They almost looked like... Um, censorship bars. I was thinking they were uh, solar panel type, but they looked like censorship bars, yes. Yes, across the strategic parts of the front and the back. And I'm like, what is up with that? I don't know what that qualifies as cosplaying. At one point we were sitting, I guess it was maybe in the, at some point we were sitting out in the lobby today. And I was watching all the people walk by. This is when I was having some of that jerky or whatever, get some food in me. And I was just amazed by the number of different uh, genres and properties being represented and the diversity of attire that two people could wear and still be recognizably the same character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In some cases, you could have somebody really decked out fully as... It'll be it Iron Man, Deadpool, or whatever, and then some somebody coming along like a kid and pretty much a, a not so you know expensive Halloween costume, but both having the same amount of fun and conveying the same love of the character. Yeah. So I thought that was was interesting. At one point when we were out in that lobby area, they have it's got to be twenty, maybe even thirty feet long, kind of a red carpet in the the, the convention fan. backdrop. Yeah. And there was three-person deep a line across the entire red velvet rope for it. It was while you and Derek were talking. And there was a steady stream of cosplayers walking the red carpet as all these people were taking photos. And I think having that venue, and particularly in such a large lobby, is awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Because it gives people a, a place to, to do those sorts of things. Because I'm all for cosplay. I love seeing the people in the different costumes, seeing what they're interested in, kind of gauging where what properties are more popular mm. than others. And again, the level of qualities and whatnot. But I also hate with a passion the photo bubbles. Yeah. We were coming out of the uh, autograph area, and it was hard to get out of there because of uh, Godzilla. Yes. There was somebody dressed up as Godzilla blocking between the food court and the community zone. It's like, you know, and when we came in, this I think it was this morning, somebody was over by the Think Geek booth in that general point. People, hey, can we take your photos? They're like, yes, but let us move over here out of the way first. Yeah. I'm like, score. Yeah. Great. Loved that. Uh, very thoughtful. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we walked the floor, did the artist alley, did the community zone, the autograph area, checked out all that stuff, went to the Peter Capaldi, talked with Derek for a while. Then uh, walked over to the Peter Capaldi uh, panel. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great panel. He gave some mm. awesome answers. I particularly loved it when a young kid, boy, ten or something. I want to. I want to work on Doctor Who. He was six. Six. He might have been younger. Yeah, he was really younger. I've been amazed how young some of the the questioners have been this yeah. time around. Yeah. Six, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. And even at that young age, in some cases, yeah, they're nervous. They fumble the question, but in other cases really good questions mm-hmm. and and this one was i love the show i want to work on it someday what guidance do you have mm-hmm. and there are some celebrities that give better answers to others than this and peter capaldi i think gave probably one of the best possible answers it's like you know he was there the kid was there with his mom the mom had to coach a little on the question first be nice to your mom mm-hmm. be friendly study hard you know, uh, figure out what gifts you have and, 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 you know, grow those. In other words, mm-hmm. 
not assuming that he was going to be an actor or writer yes. or any particular thing. Giving advice that could hold true to any dream, even if the current dream doesn't remain his only dream. Yes. And very much having the dream is important, indulging in the dream, working hard, having mm-hmm. some luck. Yes. And not just the hard work will guarantee it. Mm-hmm. But hey, write to the BBC maybe years later. Because Peter Capaldi had already told a story about how when he was like 15, he was obsessive with the Doctor Who stuff, was writing him every week. And finally, you know, they gave him, you know, here's some scripts, here's some blueprints of set stuff, whatever. The scripts were for the next season. Mm-hmm. And they were repaying the fact that he was a very avid fan. Mm-hmm. Who was sending lots of good questions about the show yeah. to the BBC. So for Peter Capaldi to later be the doctor. Mm-hmm. And the moderator actually asked a really question. Do you still have those scripts? And he's like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, absolutely. Because he's uh, Peter Capaldi very much, while a professional actor, a fanboy at heart in many yeah. cases. Um, so I thought he gave some very, very good answers, some very responsible answers. Uh, just there's some celebrities that have a deeper understanding that what they say at these conventions on these panels some people it's going to be very moving potentially life-changing for yeah now whether it should be or not who knows it depends where the person's at what the question is what the answer is etc but some it's like they couldn't care less this is just hey i gotta give a witty response move on uh, and could accidentally crush somebody or whatever in the process but having seen Bruce Greenwood back in February with the Here's How to Get Over Stage Fright. Mm-hmm. The answer here with uh, the I want to work on Doctor Who. What should I do? I'm seeing what I'm uh, going to attribute to a general maturing of celebrities. Mm-hmm. Not universally, of course, but with a with a, a surprising amount at these conventions. Yeah. Of giving of, – of taking responsibility for what they say. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Peter Capaldi came across really well, very smart, uh, very uh, thankful for his fandom, mm-hmm. and and again being able to be the doctor that you know he grew up loving. Yeah. So I thought that was just a, an awesome panel. Um, after that, we headed over to uh, Candace Patton. She plays Iris on Flash, and this was in one of the smaller rooms near the audit- uh, the arena. And we had noticed this, I guess, uh, with the Jeremy Bullock one, where they bring them in from the, the main entrance, the back of the room that we all came through. Mm-hmm. There are two security looking guys kind of escorting them up or whatever. Uh, I just, that, that strikes me as odd. Typically, there's a back entrance here. Yeah. And I don't know if the venue just doesn't have it or what. Well, and the room for her was filled to capacity. Oh, yeah. And it stayed filled to capacity the whole panel. If you left the room, someone else got that seat. It was not the largest of rooms. It was not a tiny room, but it, it yeah, like you said, it was packed. And she yeah. was very thankful for that, very mm-hmm. uh, appreciative of her fan base. Very She's much, a local girl. Yeah. This is, this is her hometown. Yeah. Uh, but very uh, cognizant of, this is The Flash. Yes. She's Iris Allen. She's thankful to be getting all the opportunities she gets. It's great working with the people. And at one point, she had made a comment about how young Grant Gustin, the lead of the show, was when he got the part and stuff like that. I lean over to you. It's like, so so how old is he and how old is she? Yeah, she referred to him as a kid when he got the part. And she was young. Yeah. And uh, 23, 24, we figured when he yeah. got the part, maybe. Yeah. She's, what, two years older than him? Yeah. 
I haven't seen him at a convention, Grant Gustin. She came across very mature, very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, one time very she... Very with it. Well, and one time she said something that was one of those off-the-cuff, almost a slang-type expression. But then she thought about how it could be heard, how it could be interpreted. And it was, okay, I'd like to rewind, take that back. Yeah. This is how I should have said it. Uh, there was one time she mentioned how Iris was dope or something like that, but mm. it was something else that was the one you're referring to. Yeah. I was, she was uh, as far as celebrity guests at these kinds of things, um, came across as, as very uh, professional, thoughtful, intelligent. Someone asked her a question um, about one of the local community colleges. And she was saying, well, you know, if you want to know what type of teenager I was, when I was in high school, I went to that community college to take a summer class in Shakespeare because I wanted to do a Shakespeare play. Well, she was a, a theater geek. Yeah. And because the, the person was like, how did you get from this college to where you are now? And she's like, well, common misconception is that I went to that college. I didn't. Here's what happened. Yeah. But then also, hey, here's how you get from, from where you're at to where you're going and stuff like that. It's hard. It's challenging. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, she does have a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Yeah. You know. And in some ways, I think that shows. Yes. She's very thoughtful about her craft. She's clearly a very intelligent, educated woman. Yeah. And I'm not surprised by that, by the type of character she plays. Very true. But I've also seen some other people at conventions, uh, including somebody at this convention, where they may be older, but I don't think they're wiser. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I really think uh, Candace came across, I thought, very well. She had she good did. stories to tell, uh, uh, some good answers to some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, was, uh, there were a few spoilers here and there, but nothing where I think she was going out of her way to spoil something or didn't care anything about that. Um, and very much uh, a good representative of, of the Flash yeah. show and the Arrow universe in general. Yeah. Well, she very clearly respects the audience. Yeah. She understands that she's very fortunate to be working with uh, Jesse L. Martin, who plays mm. Joe. You know, this is a guy who's done Rent on Broadway, who did countless seasons of Law and Order. He's just got this great body of work behind him and all this experience. And she openly acknowledges he's an excellent mentor. Well, and I think she's wise enough to, and she said words to these effects of this is a a, a relationship that'll last a lifetime. I'm learning mm-hmm. a lot. She knows this is an opportunity not to squander. Yeah. Because he's a brilliant actor. The the scenes they have together play beautifully. And it sounds like they're fairly effortless for them to do because they've got a good chemistry off screen. Part of why she got the role is because she had a good chemistry with Grant Yeah, when they filmed that. Now, the comment she made that was really funny, in part because I thought it was what I had noticed as we watched the episodes, was that the actor who plays uh, Wally West never did a single scene mm. with their mother. <laughs> yeah. Because somebody had asked if they'd written a scene where they all get together and the family unites. And nope, nothing like that. No. Should have been, oh, well. And and that actor always says, yep, never met my mom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they, they, they seem to have a fun time on that set. Yet 
not pranking and all of that stuff. They're trying to get the job done. And it also sounded like an incredibly supportive cast because she was saying when she did the Earth 2 episode about how, you know, I don't know if I'm playing this right, whatever. And Grant's like, no, no, you're doing it. You've got it. You keep going with that. And that very uh, encouraging and, and they're all working at doing their best stuff. And I think it shows on the, the screen. Yeah. So I was curious what she was like as a person, hence wanting to go to the panel. I was very pleased with I just what I discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's one that definitely would be, you know, not a, a oh, my God, I've absolutely got to see, but always worth seeing. I think she definitely. She gave very respectful, thoughtful, good answers to the questions asked. Mm-hmm. Didn't blow anybody off. Didn't just, you know, give a, a, a flippant remark or something like that. Well, and at one point when she was asked a question, she flat out said, I don't want to give an answer because I don't want to give you something that'll go viral on Twitter or make some yeah. scandalous type video. That That's not the kind of sound bite she wants to give. Well, somebody asked if you had to kill somebody on the show, who would it be kind of a thing. So what kind of a question is well, that? Well, you know, which was a better kisser? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, Eddie uh, or Barry? Yeah. Which character? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple of times I think the moderator could have and should have stepped in a little better. He did an all right job. Um, not the best we've had, not the worst we've had. Yeah. After that, um, you went and walked the floor a bit. Uh, Derek and I just kind of hung out in the lobby. because. Why did we have time? Oh, good point. We were going to go see uh, Freema... Uh, Agimon? Agimon, uh, who had played uh, Martha Jones on Doctor Who. Uh, it was just a door or two down from uh, the panel we were in. As we're saying, that, hey, we're going to go there. A random guy. It's like, yeah, uh, that's that's canceled. They had that Friday. And I'm like, well, really? And we walked to the, the thing to be sure. And, of course, the guy was totally right. Mm-hmm. At least that it wasn't today. Presumably it was Friday. But, I mean, that was, that was aggravating because um, British actress doesn't come that often. One of the few opportunities. We had presumably time yesterday, depending on when it was. Missed opportunity. I'm a little little frustrated by that because we had, I'm pretty sure, checked the printed schedule in the, the booklet and had already checked into the press room and there was no mention of, oh, these things have changed. Yeah. So missed opportunity for the convention there to, to do better communication. My only guess is it must have been before three o'clock when we checked in at the press room and thus that's why we weren't told. When we hit the info booth about the, the Shatner, yes. they should have mentioned, oh, the other free events are this, that, and the other. Yeah. So they've the, the con had an opportunity. Yeah. Granted, we didn't put the question to them because we didn't know we should put the question yeah. to them. So yeah, we had a panel we wanted to go to, couldn't go to because it wasn't there to be had. Uh, we hung out in the lobby. They had plenty of seating area. So we, uh, Derek uh, Royal of the Comics Alternative... Uh, he and I just, just started talking about podcasting, what's working for you, what are we doing here, that kind of stuff. I'm not going to say you guys got highly technical. But you got bored and walked off. <laughs> no, don't phrase it quite that way. <laughs> exactly what happened. It's not quite that way. Here, I'm, I'm going to leave my bag. Uh, you keep an eye on it. Poof, gone. <laughs> I told you where I was going. Yes, yes, you did. You wanted to hang out with one of your friends, and I totally get that. And that was the right thing to do for you. The, uh, now, this is my life in a nutshell. The Austin Browncoats have come up from our hometown to the Dallas Fan Expo. And since I never see them in Austin, yeah. I went to their booth. No, and again, I think that was, uh, was smart for you to do. 
And I think it is great that how many years has Firefly been off the air? Uh, we're at least 10, 12 years since Serenity, and brown coats are still raising money for charity. Yeah. I just think that's awesome. And to me, that's the strength of, uh, of, of the fandom. Yes. I mean, you know, Nathan Fillion's just finished a, an eight-year series after it. Yeah. It's so, amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Derek and I chatted for quite a bit uh, and then headed over to the uh, Frank Miller panel. How full was that one? We walked in more or less as it started, a little before it started, in the arena, walked in, and there's there's a lot of seating in front and then kind of a back section there on the floor. Mm-hmm. And literally the first chair there, I, I just sat down. Because at this point, I was still carrying your bag because you'd left it, <laughs> abandoned it. <laughs> And I thought, well, you might need to know where I'm at. I want to be somewhere easy if you need to grab something no, out I of it. So um, it was it was not that full. Okay. It was not that empty, but it was not that full. Uh, on par, maybe a little less than the Shatner. Interesting. Okay. Um, but this was Frank Miller. Brian Nazarello was there. Uh, questions on Dark Knight, Daredevil, Sin City, 300. What are you going to do next? You know, do you hate Superman? Uh, what do you like best about Batman? This was one where the moderator, which is the same guy we'd seen, the one who does the big yelling into the mic, uh, kind of the come on down sort of, you know, when he introduces the person, which annoys me because it, 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 it's too loud and it comes across badly on the PA system. What I will say about the volume in the arena is they have multiple uh, deaf interpreters. Mm-hmm. And the one who was on stage when they were going to bring out Peter Capaldi, pretty sure it was him, knew that they were going to start with a video and had headphones on to block the sound. Interesting. So to me, that said the volume's way too loud for the person on the stage. Yeah. I do appreciate that they have the deaf interpreters. I think Uh, it's awesome. They tend to be off in the corner, out of the way, but clearly visible even from where I was, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes over in the, the top floor of the arena or whatever. And I appreciate that they have enough that they can take turns. Yes. And I think one of them was uh, like the blonde one. I think I recognized her from the February convention. That's what I was thinking. Um, they, they seem very friendly, very, very mm-hmm. good at what they do. Uh, since we did the February convention, I've done absolutely nothing to finding out if there's any kind of way that the podcast could be made accessible mm. to, uh, to deaf people. Anyone listening, if you have any ideas how that kind of transcription process or whatever could happen, I'd like to, to you know, make this this commentary, the, the thoughts we have mm-hmm. on the reviews, on the sales, on everything available to that audience. Yeah. Um, I'm certainly, you know, it's an audio thing. And if you can't hear, you can't absorb it. So I get that. Uh, if there's a solution, I'd well, love to, to facilitate. And because comic books are, so I would assume, easily accessible to yes, deaf. Yes, comic books are inherently very friendly to the deaf. Yeah. So it just feels like exactly. reviews of them should be as well. Yeah. Um, but I felt the moderator started off on a not-so-good foot with Frank Miller when he's asking, uh, so what did you think of... I guess it was uh, the Sin City movie. How how well did you think it was adapted? Whatever. And the answer was, well, as the director of it, I was pretty happy with it. Which is funny because that moderator frequently has his tablet. And oh, on, he's always got his tablet there. Well, I was going to say he's frequently on IMDb and things like that to the point that during a later panel, 
uh, when someone was talking about, uh, I just filmed this, he pops out with, and you played such and such a character, and they're going, how did you know that? Oh, yeah. you've got a tablet. On the one hand, good to be doing the research on the fly. On the other hand, maybe do a little ahead of time. Yeah, which is hard with yes. the number of guests he's interviewing and stuff. I get what you're saying. I totally agree. I'm just saying it's a lot of research. I don't know this moderator. I don't know his credentials or what, what qualifies him to be there. And I'm not saying he's not. He certainly yeah. is a good moderator. Um, and certainly better than I could be. Mm -hmm. I've tried once or twice. It's not. I'm not good at that kind of public speaking. It's not my forte. But I've got a breadth of knowledge about comics and stuff like that. Even I knew he was the director of that film. And I haven't seen the film. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all in all, I thought it was a, a good panel. I thought uh, Frank Miller gave some good answers. The things that I found a little noteworthy, I don't want to say odd, but he was sitting in the, the, the higher director chair sort of a thing, um, kind of leaned over very heavily to his right side. To where his, his left shoulder was really high, his right shoulder was really low, um, and he had a hat on. And was frequently kind of looking down a little, you know, with his face kind of cocked or whatever. Such that with the lighting and the video monitors, because at the distance, you know, you're not going to... You could hardly ever make out his eyes. Interesting. And it was kind of like how the, the spirit has the, the brim of the hat and it's almost acting as a mask. It was very much like that. So uh, you did see a masked superhero on stage? No. No, I did not. <laughs> um, and there were a couple of times. It was very clear Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello have a, a good friendship. And uh, we're ribbing each other kind of back and forth. Mm. Somebody asked, uh, who was your favorite artist to work with? And he pauses, realizing anyone he names is going to upset somebody else. <laughs> to which Azzarello jumps in, name somebody dead. <laughs> You know, nobody will be upset with that. Going back to the Peter Capaldi uh, panel, somebody asked him uh, if you could use the TARDIS and get three people from history. First one was Prince. Yes. Second one was... Um, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, from uh, also from Harry Potter and um, Die Hard. Oh, shoot, I'm blanking. Uh, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Who was the last one? David Bowie. Yes, that's who it was. I caught the David, didn't catch the Bowie. Uh, and then it's like, yeah, we'd party. It's yeah. Like, so he he had a very interesting take, very in-the-moment reactive kind of, a, that's an answer that will always change, so always worth asking. Yeah, well, and um, see, this is where it shows. I don't watch Doctor Who, but he started it with, I would pull them all from one year. Ah, well, he said for this year. I and that's, pick. yeah, he said, I pull them all from one year. So if we're doing this year, the answer would have to be. Yeah. And like you said, it was a very in this moment, just play to the moment. But it also meant he didn't have to go grasping for who are the greatest iconic historical figures. Well, and it was a good answer that was very uh Suitable to the question, but not one of these deep, let me soul search for moments on end. Because, again, you're throwing a question at somebody and you're expecting just a quick response. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, again, Capaldi did a very good job with that. Yeah. 
Uh, again, somebody well worth seeing. I think this is one of his first North, first North American prepare, uh, uh, convention appearance. Definitely the first in the United States. It, first in the United States, right? He's done Canada. He's done Canada, yeah. But they were the very clear first the U.S. The moderator phrased it, it was the first time in Dallas. Yes. But presumably first time in U.S. It was unclear. He also said first time in the U.S. Okay, later. Okay. Um, with Frank Miller, it was... Uh, some good stuff, um, some good questions from the audience, a couple that garnered a no. <clears throat> but the way the question was asked, that was a very full answer. Yeah. You know, and this is why I say interviewing is an art form and it's one I'm not skilled at. Oh, yeah, definitely an art form and a, a difficult one. Yeah. Um, so that was a lot of fun. After that, uh, Derek and I uh, talked a lot more about uh, podcasting and some stuff like that, which worked for him. Again, uh, just just fun to do. Um, and then, because we'd walked around a, a little bit more after that, and part of it is I think both of us were just getting tired. I know I've walked a, a lot this weekend already. And then you had texted me that the Anthony Daniels panel was starting up. This was a panel that I gave you very little information about. Just other- it was worth seeing. He's funny. Well, I told you, I've seen him once before, probably a decade and a half ago, but he was funny then, and I just think we'll enjoy it. Throughout the day, I was scribbling notes down in preparation for this. Okay. Um, I went in there. I think they had already shown the video because I didn't see that. And it took us a little bit to find you, Uh, even though you weren't that hard to find. We were just blind. Uh, And the notes I put down, because uh, this is the guy who who physically played C-3PO in all of the Star Wars movies and did the voice for the character. So I'm thinking, okay, he did this in 77. We just saw Jeremy Bullock yesterday uh, who had hearing aid. You know, these, these aren't youngsters anymore. Mm-hmm. So when I saw a pretty much a cleared off stage and a guy that was really all over the stage, I mean, he was very animated. Because you funny. missed him walking in. Yes. Okay, when he walked in, there were two director's chairs center stage facing each other for two people to sit in and have a conversation. He walks in, he goes to the center of the stage, he picks up one of those chairs, and it's basically a, I don't need this. Pick it up, take it to the far side of the stage, set it down. Wander back to center stage, and you think, hey, he's going to sit down. Nope, pick that chair up and take I it to the other they were side. I at the far ends of the stage, and I'm like, what's up with that? He did it. At this point, they, in this room, it was one of the smaller rooms, um, actually the biggest of the smaller rooms. Or it, yeah. It was A1, which is not the smaller compared to the arena. I haven't been yeah. in the C rooms yet. Probably won't be tomorrow either. Um, but there was a camera in the middle pointing towards center stage where those chairs used to be. Yes. And it was projecting on the two sides. So I'm seeing him, I'm seeing a, a, a projector of just the basic backdrop without him, and I'm like... Is he going to walk back on camera? No. But he he was very uh, alive, very animated, very in the moment, very uh, entertaining, very sarcastic at times. And, you know, he pulled somebody up who was in a uh, R2-D2 dress and then reenacted a couple of scenes. Well, and that was interesting. And I don't know if you were in the room yet, but he just randomly called out everybody who's in star wars cosplay stand up i missed all of that he'd already gathered a few at the front and that's what he did he's like okay 
you and you come forward. Yeah. And he called the cosplayers forward. And he's like, don't worry. It's not going to be bad. You're going to get up here with me. And his ability to perfectly or in some cases not so perfectly reenact scenes that he had done 30 years ago Mm -hmm. 40 years ago 40 in some cases almost uh you know astounded me and the fun he was having with it particularly when he got the uh padme a queen amidala person up there oh yeah he's like can you say this line of hers which i've already forgotten he's of course uh, Senator, my people are going to die. Or yeah, my people tough. are dying, Senator. Yes. And he's like, can you say this? And she does it pretty much in the accent the character would have. And he's like, can you do it with less enunciation? And the room just kind of cracks up. And at first I'm thinking, I don't think the accent was that bad. <laughs> she says, no, no. Can you can you do it kind of monotone with no emotion? Like you're reading the phone book is eventually where he gets to. Well, at one point, he tries suggesting, can you do it like the voice in the elevator? Yeah. And he's like, that was just bad directing on my part. (laughs) Yes. yes. But it was very much his his, uh, commentary was there was just how dry the deliveries they were told to give were. Yes. And he has a unique commentary and viewpoint on the material. And he so quickly won over the room mm-hmm. and and commanded in a way that I've rarely seen at a convention. And when somebody at one point was asking, because people were lining up at the thing, and it's like, what are you doing there behind the mic? And what? he was hard on these people. Funny, but hard. At one point, it's like, you're still talking? Is yes. it my turn to speak yet? You know, yes. are you not done yet? You're kind of... And at one point, somebody had asked a question, and he's going to, you know, we're going to do this Roman style, thumbs up, thumbs down. Somebody asked a question, people didn't like, thumbs down. He's like, dead. At one point, somebody asks the question, were you able to breathe in the mask? He's like, yes, what sort of stupid question is this? I'm here alive, of course I can (laughs) No, I died in that costume. He then Millions rattles of years of evolution, and you ask, did I die wearing that costume? He then goes through a bunch of similarly stupid questions uh, actual reporters have asked. One is sort of implying they thought he was R2-D2. It's like, how did you fit in that costume? You're so- oh, you played the other one. Yes. Um, so he... he did not uh, have have much tolerance for foolish questions. Somebody then asked later, um, if you knew now, if uh, you knew then what you knew now, kind of a thing, uh, would 3PO have killed young Anakin Skywalker? Could you, Would you go back in time? Would you go back and, and, yeah. and kill him? And to which both of, of his thumbs go up, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah. Oh. But then walks through, okay, mm-hmm. no Anakin, no Luke, no Leia, no Star Wars. Now, have you thought this one mm-hmm. through? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, no Death Star, no Death Star 2, no Death Star 3. Have you thought that one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's very much in love with the material, very uh, uh, part of the heart and soul of the material in many respects. And he would occasionally kind of drift into 3PO mannerisms and all other times it was very much him he thanked the fans at the conventions for helping him to understand and sharing with him their love of Star Wars because filming it 
in a soundstage, tucked away, away from the magic. From him, it was a job. Yeah. And for other people, it was a life-changing experience. It's a cultural phenomenon, and rightfully so. And it's taken him a while to to either get enough distance or to get enough of our perspective on it. Because somebody thanked him for, for being such a wonderful part of his childhood and such. To which his answer was, you know, it took a while to get that, but I accept your praise. You know, kind of a thing. And he was having fun with it all. He was, but later but he, also, he explained it. it. The, the, the closing he had was that he and the other people working on it at the time didn't really understand kind of the gift they were giving us of what Star Wars became and was. But also, we can't really get what we're giving them of just how much we love it, how much it's impacted our lives, all of that stuff. To me, that's also an aspect of the maturing of the celebrity culture mm-hmm. at these conventions, where it's not, yeah, yeah, it's just it's all about me. Oh, of course you should love me. There's a thank you. You know, I've worked hard at this. You, It, it meant something to you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that, and that means something to me, mm-hmm. aspect of these celebrities. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Well, and he was pointing out some of the – the the physical aspects of the filming mm-hmm. and just the oh and the glamour of it all yeah and it's kind of the you don't realize you know like the uh the smoke uh in oh, the ewok village how they had smoke under the ewok village the ewoks when they were kind of off duty if you will would just hang out there read the newspaper whatever and he's like how many molecules of, of or atoms of oxygen are in co2 and the correct answer was not enough to really breathe on. And that they were just kind of fading away down there. <laughs> and other aspects. He also had uh, uh, retelling scenes how the the guy driving the R2 unit from a ways away would keep bumping the thing into him. How he couldn't see with the tunnel vision. And, uh, just also when somebody asked how come the droids never got hurt. He's like, have you seen the movies? Yes. And there recounts when C-3PO gets disassembled. Uh, also had a really good story about a scene that I guess was filmed but never uh, made it. Uh, he said would be on one of, hopefully, one of the Uber Deluxe bonus, you know, box sets eventually. About how in, I guess, episode two, one, two, whatever, um, two, he had still was, was didn't naked. have his covering and how he was naked. And just how with that scene, you realized how not happy and how embarrassed he had been. For 16 years doing this, that, and the other nude. Mm-hmm. And how Queen Abadala put the covering on it. It's like they've all been right there. He's been in this room for 16 years, hadn't noticed the, the remaining pieces of him there. His, his, his retelling of this was hilarious. Yes, yes. He's very gifted in terms of live presentation, interacting mm-hmm. with the audience, humor, um, storytelling Mm -hmm. he is somebody that the other note i had he's a must-see guest he is definitely if you have the opportunity to see anthony daniels live at a convention it will be worth your time Mm -hmm. and i was leaned over at one point to you during the convention of the 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 sequence of panels i'd like to see if these were the only four guests and only four panels you had in at your convention and I don't know the order I would do them in. Brent Spiner, Alan Tudyk, um, Anthony Daniels, and then John Barrowman. Yeah. 
people would just come out of that having had a wonderful time. Yeah. Because they're all very funny guys, giving very good answers, very different styles of it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but from from some of the very different uh, franchises out there, uh, particularly space-based to a degree, um, they just wonderful guests. And again, this is a guy who was not much younger, I think two years, we said, of, of uh, Jeremy Bullock, one year. Mm-hmm. One we saw year. yesterday. He was the older man that I was expecting there with Jeremy Bullock. Again, somebody who was all over the stage, walked out into the audience, was giving as good as he got kind of a thing in terms of comments and things like that. Mm-hmm. Very quick-witted, very funny, very enjoyable panel. So I'm very glad you texted us and we headed over. Because um, otherwise, Derek and I probably would have kept talking for a while. After that, uh, we headed over to... Um, back to the arena for Amy Acker's panel. Derek peeled off to, to head to the convention floor again. She was in uh, Angel, Dollhouse, Person of Interest, and Episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We haven't watched any of this season of uh, Person of Interest, and there were spoilers. I've never seen Amy Acker at a convention before. Me neither. And she's interesting. She's another local girl. Yes. Very nice, uh, com- compulsive smiler. She was yeah. never not smiling. Yeah. Uh, which, okay, fine. That's just the way she is. Very happy, very almost giggly mm-hmm. at times. But she also, in my mind, as a result of that, didn't come across quite as thoughtful or polished as uh, Candace Patton, uh, Haley Atwell, mm-hmm. or Jenna Coleman. Mm-hmm. And she's about 10 years older than Candace Patton. Yeah. I don't think Amy Acker came off bad. No, not at all. But she she came off much younger than she is in some respects. And she had some some good answers here and there. They didn't have quite the the depth I was hoping for, expecting whatever. There wasn't quite the deep thoughtfulness. It was very just res- kind of immediate response sort mm-hmm. of a thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But if I had to... To knowing what I know now, take one or two panels off what I have gone to so far, this would have been the easiest one to say, yeah, I can skip. Uh, it was good. It was fun. Um, again, not having seen any of this season of, of the last season of Person of Interest, we're like 10 episodes behind maybe. There were some definite spoilers for a few things, but that's that's the risk you take going yeah. to a panel like this. Well, it's funny because every character I've seen her play, with the exception of S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess... She's had that that crazy, nutty, violent side. Uh, nutty, not quite all their side, yeah. Yeah. And she does it well. Creepy well. Yeah. I wanted to see her normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't know what to say there. No, I mean, it just, it, it was nice to see her as a regular, normal person. She seemed to be having fun, seemed to appreciate that we appreciated her work. Mm-hmm. Um, seemed unsure how to react to the fact that two people flew from Japan for this convention to see her. Yeah. And I don't know how you react to that. Don't get me wrong. But it came across as a new experience for her. I think she's potentially still kind of adjusting to this sort of a fan base interaction. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you do adjust to that. I have no idea. Uh, particularly somebody who has worked with Joss Whedon and 
done a lot of of very you know popular iconic shows mm-hmm. uh, and very beloved whether they were long lasting or not in the case of like Dollhouse yeah so well and it's funny because she was saying that uh, Angel basically got her the part on Person of Interest yeah she referred to that as kind of her favorite role because it was her first dear to her heart in that respect but also because of that obviously having written with Joss on that getting Dollhouse kind of a no brainer uh, but because of the work she'd done on Angel, that was what got her into Person of Interest, Sans Audition. Yeah. And it's funny because when I first saw her on Person of Interest, I wondered if it had been Dollhouse because there were a few similarities mm-hmm. to the temperament of the character and stuff. Could be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I was just, but I thought it was interesting that it was her Joss Whedon work that made her come to mind. Again, very entertaining panel. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty well attended. Yeah. Uh, not again. The arena holds so many people. It does. I don't think it was anywhere near as well attended as probably Peter Capaldi, which I Mm-mm. think was the most full we saw that. Yeah. Um, but they've had a really good guest list. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of fun people. Uh, that that weren't just you know kind of blowing off the questions or whatever, but trying to give some good response and and be there for the fans. Yeah. So overall, uh, fun day. After that, we uh, hooked up again with uh, Derek Royal, headed over to restaurant over at the Omni, had a nice leisurely dinner there, uh, talked a lot about uh, comics, podcasts, the convention, uh, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So all in all, h- hanging out with Derek uh, a lot of the day, that was a ton of fun. Don't see him often enough. Um, of course, the discussion on the, on the Eisners was, was just hilarious because... I read predominantly mainstream. He does the comics alternative and therefore, not that he doesn't read any mainstream, but predominantly reads what I consider the more esoteric. So when I'm saying, yeah, there's most of the Eisner stuff I don't reckon, he's like, that's funny. Most of it I do. Yeah. I'm like, that's my point. You know, but that's part of what's great about conventions and particularly comic podcasting and comics in general is there's so much out there for such a wide diversity. Yeah. That you look at, again, the costumes, going back to the cosplay comments at the beginning of this part. There's so much to be fans of and everybody's celebrating it and enjoying everyone else celebrating their interests. Mm-hmm. You know, I am not like the deepest, hardest core fan of Frank Miller's work or or whatever. It's like I, I like all the stuff, whatever, but it's not like Sin City or uh, one, I haven't read it, but or like Dark Knight has changed my life or, or you know, Dollhouse or Angel or any of Amy Acker's work has changed my life or even Anthony Daniels for that matter, you know? But the fact that other people have had such such potentially life-changing experiences for them, being able to watch potentially such things happen. Again, the kid asking how to get on Doctor Who, how to work on that. Yeah. That could have a profound impact on that kid. Yeah. Um, so seeing kind of the celebration of pop culture and all of that uh, was just a ton of fun today. Yeah. It's really been a very good convention in a lot of ways. So there are a couple of panels um, tomorrow that we're going to go see. I pretty much walked most of the floor, uh, all of the floor, actually, at this point. I don't know if there's anything I've really got to go back to. Certainly nothing I feel the compulsion that I have to buy. A few things I probably could, but shouldn't. Um, So all in all, it's been a fun convention. I'm looking forward to what uh, the last day holds. Same here. It is Sunday night. It's almost 9 o'clock. We have... Not only uh, done a full day, pretty full day at the convention, but uh, driven part of the way home. 
Um, we've stopped for gas. Figured this would be a good time to record today's part. I gotta say it. If you've never heard of Bucky's, Google them. It's hilarious. Yeah, we're uh, at a gas station about a little uh, between Austin and Waco, very much on the Waco side. That's got like literally a hundred pumps. Um, the things about the size of like a Walmart or something, not a big Walmart, but a small size. It was just a convenient spot to to stop for gas. It's just kind of funny to go into such a big gas station. There are a couple dozen empty parking spots around us. I mean, it's your typical gas station, right? Okay, sorry. No, seriously, uh, look up Bucky's. Um, and if you're if you're really curious, uh, post a link on the forum or post a question on the forum, and I'll link to it. Just the aerial footage of it. So. Um, we started, uh, by frankly sleeping in because yes. there wasn't anything horribly exciting and we were up a little late last night, uh, between, you know, dinner with Derek and podcasting and, and whatnot. Uh, we started the morning just kind of walking the floor. We did try for a Doctor Who panel. That, that's right. We did try, um, to, to go to the Michelle Gomez panel, but the room was full. And this was one of the rooms that was, I think, directly beneath the exhibit hall. I think so. Uh, I never got in to, to see how large the room was. I, I should check at some point. She plays uh, Missy on Doctor Who, uh, one of the the main villains. She's shown up, I think, more than any other during the Capaldi era. I could be wrong on that, but major, major character. And they put her in a room that was, frankly, I think, uh, too small. Mm. Certainly the fact that it filled the capacity instantly. Um was one of those signs, but also, you know, she was in a much, I believe, smaller venue than the A rooms, because this was C... 155? 455 or something like that. One oh, 155, whatever. But again, much smaller room than, uh, I believe, any of the other ones, any of the ones we'd actually gotten into, and certainly way smaller than the arena. Don't know that she needed the arena, don't know that she needed some of the bigger rooms. A3 might have been the right thing today, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they'd also apparently merged... A1 and A2 today. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we tried to get there, uh, failed. So, uh, turned around, walked around uh, to go back up to the floor, um, spent some time with one of your friends who's at one of the booths, had a, a really good conversation with her. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then we, uh, we met up with one of your former professors. Because that is a truly awesome college professor. Yeah, it's interesting. He was treating this like an anthropological uh, trip of some sort, just to study fandom in its native environment, see what that's like. Well, he was genuinely trying to understand the cosplay, the photo ops, all the things he's never done. And he was saying, you know, I've, I've gone and gotten autographs from authors I love. So I understand that aspect. He had a lot of really good questions, trying, to, again, to understand and appreciate. He could see the people in the costume and wondered, you know, when we were showing him the professional cosplayers, that kind of, you know, was, was new to him. Um, had some questions on, you know, different terminology within the comics fandom and some stuff like that, you know, in terms of things that have, have come from movies. or Do they have a unique name, you know, graphic novel versus this, and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. It was a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. And just kind of seeing a convention through somebody else's eyes like that is, is always a lot of fun to me. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Did that, walked around a bit more, and then wound up over at the arena mm-hmm. for Arthur Darville's panel. He plays uh, Rip Hunter on Legends of Tomorrow. He also played Rory in uh, Doctor Who. 
who is the uh, boyfriend, later husband of Amy Pond, a much beloved uh, companion of the Doctor. And they were in the majority of the Matt Smith run. Mm, And it's funny because um, Karen Gillan, who played Amy Pond, Arthur Darville, who played uh, Rory, and Matt Smith, who played the Doctor, are all roughly the same age. Mm. They were literally kids in a candy store. Mm Mm-hmm. And they seemed to have a lot of fun. It was very energetic. Um, it was a good era of the Doctor. One of the questions during that panel was if he could have one of those vessels to travel in, which would he want, the TARDIS or the Wave Rider? And I really liked how he thought through aloud the answer because it wasn't just the practical side of it and it wasn't just the fun side of it. His answer basically came down to he really liked uh, Rip's study in yeah. the thing, and particularly some of the books that were in there. Yeah. That they'd found a couple of really interesting ones that he was just, you know, he'd pull off the shelf at some point and flip through and found them very entertaining. Yeah. He seemed to be a fairly literate person, and I felt he had a, a really good sense of humor when he was asked, you know, They've fallen off a cliff. You can either save, you know, uh, Karen Gillan or Matt Smith. Which is, is it? I'm a really indecisive fellow. Yeah. It's like by the time I've decided, they would have both fallen. So I guess they're both dead, you know, kind of a thing. Yes. And it was funny because later somebody got up and said, you know, oh, you and Amy were my favorite companions. It's like, which one? I'm if they were falling off a cliff, which would you save? I'm really indecisive. Was the answer they get the the questioner gave? It was pretty funny. He's quick on his feet. He is very much one of those who's there to entertain, give good answers, think through the answers, and not just blow it off and do a a quick one liner. But making sure the audience has fun and, and coming across witty and intelligent is it seems important to him. Not and giving, he's good at it. Yes, and not giving any spoilers for Legends of Tomorrow. He. Is very much of the mindset, which, uh, something I share, of let the story unfold. Yeah. You know, and these people that want to know everything now so they can tell everybody else before the story happens, he just doesn't get. Yeah. And doesn't like. And there are one or two things where to talk about something, he had to kind of give a spoiler. And he was very much, okay, you don't want to hear this, just close your ears, I'll give you a thumbs up when you can do it. Oh, no, not yet, I'll, I'll tell you kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he rambled for a little bit. Oh, that's probably a long time to... <laughs> To plug your ears. <laughs> but he also, throughout the whole thing, would be able to answer questions without revealing yeah. much. He flat out said, we're going to get some new characters on Legends tomorrow, but didn't say who. Mm-hmm. Said he didn't know who, but also said he had friends that were auditioning for the show, which made me wonder, it's like, and they didn't tell you who they were reading for? Yeah. But he's very much, again, anti-spoiler. But also trying to give good answers and things like that. I I found him to be a lot of fun. He came across um, much more like the Rip Hunter character than the, the Rory character from Doctor Who. Because Rory was a younger, geekier, socially awkward kind of guy who had a major growth arc through the series. Whereas, you know, he's he's a time master in... You know, as Rip Hunter. Despite his adoptive mother really wanting to call him a Time Lord. That's what happens when you hire, you know, British actors on on this sort of a show. It's, they default to their normal time setting. (laughs) Um, Apparently that that took multiple takes to get some of those things. So he was was a really good uh, uh, celebrity up there. 
He was. Um, I hadn't realized he was in Broadchurch. See, and it's funny because I watched the first season of Broadchurch, and when he made one comment about it, because someone had asked uh, basically when during the filming did you find out who the murderer Mm -hmm. is because it's a murder mystery. And he said, well, at one point they made a comment about this location wouldn't let us film if so-and-so was the murderer. I thought, hmm, well, we're filming here. So, or it... Actually, it was a church said, you can't film here if he's in the scene or something. Yeah. And at the time, yeah, it was was weird. Yeah. But that's why I was like, wait a sec. I watched it and I'm like... I didn't recognize him and recall him from it. But after he said that, I'm like, okay, wait a sec. I do remember him in it and which character he played. I just hadn't put two and two together. So now I want to go rewatch it. It would be interesting if, say, that arena was was equipped with Wi-Fi and only Wi-Fi to have something that's essentially sniffing the internet packets for who's going to IMDb when. Yes. And for what. Yeah. Because there were quite a few times in a lot of the panels, it's like, how old is this person? What have they done? You know, and it, it, and I wasn't the only one doing that kind of mm-hmm. a thing. I know. I know the moderator at times was doing that. Yes. So I thought uh, Arthur Darville, again, um, shows, I mean, he was a great convention guest. I highly recommend uh, going to his panels. He seems to really enjoy what he's doing, takes it seriously, is, is kind of in the moment. Um, but having gone through the convention circuit stuff with Doctor Who, he's got a polish uh, to, to his presentation and stuff. Although I think a couple of his jokes do come back to, I don't say haunt him, but... Um, yes. Well, it's funny because my college professor was with us in that panel and he hasn't watched any of Arthur Darville's shows. But he was very curious about how these panels are, what kind of questions go to the actors and stuff. At one point, I think it was a kid asked one of those questions that if you've gone to a lot of panels, you're kind of used to these questions come up. And the question involved the character Thor in some Oh, fashion. which of your co, uh, co-stars would be worthy of lifting the hammer or something? Yes, that was it. And my former professor actually leaned over and asked me, he didn't play Thor. Was he in Thor? And I missed it. What's going What's on here? What's the connection here? Yeah. And to me, that's one of those nonsensical uh, thumbs down sort of questions. Yeah. People ask some really out there. You wonder, okay, what is the the connection they're making? And yet some people will ask questions. That's, they're purely a, I want to get to know this actor question, where you get really fascinating answers like the, what's your favorite book? And if you could have only one book that you could read time and again, though. And we got a great answer on that. And with the Thor question, I think you could get a great answer from some people. Yes. But the the miss rate's pretty high, I think. Yeah. Well, and in uh, Arthur Darville's case, he wanted the person asking the question to really help him understand what makes you worthy of lifting the hammer. Yeah. What are your parameters for that question? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Again, very fun. Uh, I've enjoyed him. And I, want, I want to go ahead and give his answer to the book question. Oh, yeah. Because he wanted the complete Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, with a, I could get lost in there for years kind of an answer. And, yeah. And he negotiated with the person. It's like, if it's all in one binding, that's okay. You know, kind of. A, <laughs> yes. Not a book set, you know, box set kind of a thing. It was funny. Yeah. Um, but I've enjoyed him in Doctor Who. I think he's really 
shown a lot more range and uh, growth and stuff as Rip Hunter from back then, but just seeing the two ends of the spectrum so far. One of the things I noticed during his panel, and I'm not sure if you were as aware of it as I was, he he was very professional, he was very responsible, but he was sitting upright and more relaxed and leaned back in the chair when adults were asking questions. But when children came to the microphone, he was leaned forward and very much attentive and focused on, I want to catch every word, that. I want to make sure I hear this, I want to make sure I understand this, I want to make sure I give them the answer they both want and need. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, um, I felt he was very, I, I noticed the leaning forward, paying attention, and very much, you know, trying to make sure that the, the, whatever the person, you know, age or costume, whatever, got kind of, was happy with the answer, or at least yeah. felt it. Happy with their moment and their attention. Yeah. And that he, he was in this conversation with them. Mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, again, great uh, sense of humor and, and just fun guest. Yeah, I was really impressed. After that, we uh, headed back to the other side of the convention center uh, to grab some lunch because we yes. hadn't had any breakfast. And it was one of those we weren't sure how, how dinner was going to work out. Um, so went back to the Omni, had a, another good meal there. I thought it was, was fun. I was amazed how empty the restaurant was. So was I. I mean, I know it's the far end of the Omni, which is the far end of the convention center from the thing. But it's a nice, relaxing place to, to go chill out and stuff. So I was very pleased with that. Um, after that, we uh, we walked the floor some more. Mm-hmm. Um, we tried to go uh, see Kevin Anderson. Never did. No, I I always enjoy talking to Kevin J. Anderson. Yeah, he's... no, great great writer. Yeah, and I like that he's got booths at a lot of these other conventions, smaller conventions, not just for his stuff, but a lot of other authors. Yeah. Um. So you know, it's uh, again, we just never lucked into when he was there. Yeah. Um, well, and he had several panels that were opposite other yeah. things we were doing. So again, yeah, he was he was keeping busy. He was. Um, but then one of the other things we did while we were walking around at that point, and I'd seen this booth earlier, but uh, Overground Comics mm. um, had a, a bunch of stuff there. Smaller publisher. I thought I'd recognized the name, but I wasn't sure. They are in previews, so I'm I'm pretty sure I'd seen them. But their their preview solicit had never had anything that really caught my eye. Because uh, previews is just filled with, with wonderful things. Well, and it's how many pages? It's uh, very hard. 600 every month. So it's got to be hard to cherry pick out items. Well, even with the preview spotlight, with listeners sending in clips, the, the teleconference we've got back going again, uh, back half of previews type stuff, publishers that are new like this have a posted stamp size image of the cover typically, a couple of sentences, and... It's easy to just flip past them without even really acknowledging they're there. One of the things that they had had on their table that had caught my eye was the uh, handbook of the Overground Comics universe. Mm. And it was very stylistically uh, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe look. I'm like, okay, that they've got a universe thing going? Okay, that's interesting. So we were walking by and, you know, I was looking at the stuff and you know, he's like, hey, what kind of comics? Like, ah, I like superhero stuff. You know, and he he basically gave his sales pitch, you know, superhero comics kind of broken. You know, a lot of these things were about a particular thing, uh, immigration and and stuff with with Superman, uh, fear of of the fascist movement with Captain America, things of that sort. And culturally, we've we've moved on. 
Mm-hmm. And in some cases, the characters have or haven't, but they're keeping the characters around. Now they're having to do, you know, kill them, bring them back, redo the origin, all this, to, to kind of make them relevant. And his mindset is more, well, maybe you should be telling more focused stories on characters. Yeah, go back and revisit when it makes sense, but don't feel beholden to that. Build up a universe of characters that are, are you always have characters that are relevant. Well, and he was very big on make sure when you start a title, you have a plan for a beginning, a middle, and an end to the story you're going to tell. Yeah, he had like six or seven titles, all of which he said have a, a definitive beginning, middle, and end. I think one was six issues, one was eight, one was 12, you know, whatever. I forget what they were. Um, but that you get a, a sense of resolution, conclusion, and there's a point to the story. Mm-hmm. So he had uh, some interesting ideas. I thought it was interesting when he said, yeah, I like superheroes. Well, they're broken. It's like, okay, that's interesting. Um, but he gave a, a really solid sales pitch for each of the different titles for mm-hmm. the most part. There was one where uh, a girl basically gets sent to a boarding school and it's in hell. It's like, I think I can pass on that. I think it was also the only one he wasn't writing. Yes. So kind of, uh, yeah, he's, he's letting other people do stuff, but he's got his little thing going. Mm-hmm. And there have been a couple of, of places like Tom Hutchinson over at Big Dog Inc. where he's writing most of the books. And you once you get the sensibility and the mindset of that kind of, of author, it's like, okay, maybe this is for me or maybe it's not. But either way, you know. Yeah. So he had a, a, a bunch of different books there uh, across the seven titles. I'm like, you know what? I'll give him a shot. Take one of everything except the, the one title you're not doing. Um, out of that, I also got two free prints. He threw in a... I think an art of Overground mm-hmm. Comics and a copy of the the handbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be honest, he only had the display copy of the handbook. So I was kind of a little unclear, what is it? He's not talking about with the rest. But that was probably a smart move on his part, because if he just had a couple of those and, hey, you could buy that, I might have just bought that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to get around to reading these, because there's, you know, I don't see. Actually, I'm not even sure total how many I got. Probably 30 comics at least. I was going to guess around 28. Yeah, it sounds about right. Something like that. Six titles with four issues. Well, some had five, some had two. I'll I'll find out when I dig through the thing. I think he was saying three for $10. I got $70 worth, so maybe 21. Yeah. Um, But they they sounded like some really interesting ideas, titles, and Mm -hmm. different takes on the superhero genre. Yeah. Without necessarily being deconstructive. Well, and several of the ideas that he was talking about, okay, this one is about, and they were, again, going back to what he was saying about Superman was a story about Ellis Island, a very current to its time issue. One was very much kind of about the persona you put out uh, in public and do you later regret that? Yeah. Another was kind of around um, dissemination of information and what is the truth is kind of what I took as the undercurrent. And he was pitching the story premise in the storyline and kind of letting us dig through for for what that was versus it's an allegory about this, that. You know, he's an entertainer, not a lecturer. Yes. You know, and I I always get a little worried when somebody's pitching your thing is having these deep philosophical underpinnings. It's like, you know, I want an entertaining story. Yeah. So my current uh, tentative plan, and I don't know when I'll have the time to do this, is to take those, figure out the order they were kind of released in, um, and start with the title that was released first, go through those issues, 
and just kind of put my thoughts together and maybe do it as like a, a publisher spotlight just to, cool. to see how it is. Um, if I like the stuff and can coordinate with the guy, maybe have him on afterwards of, hey, where are you going with this? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, gave him a, a preview spotlight business card to remind him, hey, you know, we've opened submission policy. Because I like to see new publishers get their stuff out there. And even if this stuff, maybe it's not for me, but it may be for some other listener we've got or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy seems to have some interesting ideas. He's very committed to complete stories and was very much, hey, if the whole company were to go under, I'd still find a way to finish these stories. Yeah. It's like, I respect that. Yeah. I hate stories that get aborted and just never finish. And, and he very much didn't seem in favor of that either. Yeah. So that was fun. And then after that, we headed over to the George Takai. Uh, Takai? Takai. 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 I always get it wrong. Uh, Sulu. His, <laughs> his panel. And before we did that, we also uh, saw him at the autograph area. Yeah. You chatted with him for a minute or two. It's interesting because, you know, I've seen footage of him both, you know, kind of on screen, but also at conventions and stuff like that over YouTube and stuff like that. He's... What do we think? 80 now? 79. 79. Uh, Like most of us, not getting any younger. Still seems to be in really good shape. Very sharp. Um, I did notice a couple of things. I was very surprised when he started out giving a history, not just of Star Trek, but of the Desilu studio. Let's set the stage for the panel, though. Uh, This is the final day. Yes, final day. It's a 4.30 panel. The hall closes at 5.00. Yeah. He's afraid there's not going to be anybody here. Okay, now let's add to that the fact that he's been doing autographs from uh, 10 a.m. Yeah, he's so been there very actively the whole time. Yeah, and that was just today. I mean, he was doing autographs all three days. Mm-hmm. So he's had a long three days. And I can tell you just from my three-minute conversation with him, he was looking a bit tired. And I talked to him at, what, about 4 o'clock before the 4.30 panel, give or take? And the people with him were noticing he was a bit tired. And they were saying, look, there's a green room. Let's go get you a glass of water and just give you a few minutes to relax before you go up on that stage and entertain. If I were a convention organizer, when I'm booking people, particularly original Trek people or Star Wars people, people that are frankly a little older. Um, I would work with them, their agent. What time of day is best for you? Yeah. Do you want to do it before lunch, after lunch? You, you know, I mean, you do it late in the afternoon like this, one of the last panels of the convention. It's reasonable to expect the guy to be kind of tired. Yeah. Even so, I felt he was very energetic. He was. He was. Um. When he started with, here's the history of the RKO, RKO studio that they shot at mm-hmm. and started back in the 30s. I'm like, well, it's a little earlier than I was expecting, but okay, this is interesting. This is good. Mm-hmm. Very informative on this is when it changed hands, it had high points, low points. He's educated on where he has worked. Yes. Well, and at first I'm sitting here thinking, old news. I know this. But of course, I'm forgetting I have a college degree in this stuff yeah some of us are more well versed in uh communications television stuff like that than maybe the average fan might be well the guy sitting two seats over to the right of me when uh george gets to the very clear so desi lou as in desi arnaz and lou as in lucy by the studio and make desi lou and the guy next to me goes 
Wow, I never knew that. Yeah. It's it's either you know it or you don't. And Um, this is how you find out sometimes. Exactly. I'm like, okay, so what I'm sitting here thinking is a five-minute old news story is an epiphany to the guy two seats over. And I'm reevaluating where this has begun. Well, there was a certain level setting he was doing that, for me, he didn't need to do. But yeah, maybe for others. And when he was going through how Roddenberry had intentionally created a very diverse multicultural cast and the captain represented North American, it was played by a Canadian versus, you know, you might have expected an, uh, an American or whatever. I get somebody from this, you know, from, from for Europe, it's a Scottish guy, again, played by a Canadian. Yes. And some of this, you know, he was getting the laughs at the appropriate points. But he was also going through, it's like you, you go around the bridge and you're essentially going around the world. Yeah. And really kind of underscoring, and he had mentioned it early on, the infinite uh, diversity and infinite combinations aspect of Star Trek and kind of how important that is to him. Well, and highlighting the fact that when Chekhov was brought in, I mean, right this moment, we may not be at the best political relationship we've ever had with Russia. No, but we're also not at the absolute worst we were, which would have been around that point. Exactly. I mean, coldest part of the Cold War. And Roddenberry brings in somebody who's not only Russian, but very proud of his Russian heritage. Yeah. And sets the stage of, you know what? We're going to get past this. We're going to get through this. Yeah. He referred to Roddenberry as an optimistic guy. Absolutely. And that was one of the things I always loved about Star Trek is it it projected and it didn't promise, but it assured us that with work. It gave an ideal that we could live up to. Yes. And yes. not that we were going to get handed to it, but that we had to earn it. Yes. And there were aspects of all of that that were very clearly something that that. Uh, George is very proud to have been a part of, Mm -hmm. is very happy that 50 years later, all of us are still part of. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of times here and there in the thing that, frankly, it got very political. Yes. You know, when uh, uh, Allegiance, uh, I guess the play he's doing. The musical that he helped write. And it's an amazing story um, about the Japanese internment camps. I've listened to some of the songs. I would love to see the musical. I wish it would, you know, get onto PBS or something so a wider audience would have access to it. But it's based on his own experience of getting ripped out of his home and put in an internment camp. Well, and he was saying just how relevant that is to today because of What's going on with um, one of the political candidates saying, oh, all these Muslims, they shouldn't be allowed in the country. And, you know, how George was also saying he went through Arlington at one point. And so many of the people that have fought and died for our country, wait, they were Muslim too. Yeah. This, this is just insane. Painting with such a broad brushstroke yeah. is, is just not right. Um, and it was interesting because it was not just, hey, this is my personal feeling or whatever. But having already set the stage with the infinite diversity, infinite combinations, and the multiculturalism of Star Trek, yeah, and and how how wonderful all of that was, mm-hmm. there was also kind of the implication: if you're in this room, if you're into Star Trek, if you buy into all of this stuff, yeah, one of these presidential candidates should seem a little alien to you. He didn't say that. No, exactly. But he he was pointing out. Uh, if you believe that a group of diverse people can come together on the bridge of the Enterprise and work in concert, mm-hmm. 
than any political candidate who steps up and gives di- diversive and divisive divisive rhetoric. Yeah. We should, should be trying to unite, not uh, divide. Yeah. It was, again, very uplifting, um, very inspirational without trying to be inspirational. Yeah. But it was clear there are certain things he's very passionate about. Mm-hmm. And equality, uh, kind of the justice around all of that and stuff, very near and dear to his heart. Yeah. He's a very politically and socially active individual, mm-hmm. but never once came across as trying to preach to us or lecture us or even indoctrinate us. But there were also a few times his his position, he clearly stated it in very, very, I don't say forcefully, but unequivocally. He did recommend everyone plan a vacation to the West Coast that happens to include either Los Angeles, San Francisco, or Seattle, where Allegiance will be having performances. And maybe take in a show. Yeah. Yeah. He was not above <laughs> pimping his own work. What I found interesting was when he was going through the cast and the multiculturalism and how so-and-so from this part played this character. It was indicative to me that there were a few times where his age is starting to show. Yeah. Um, he misspoke a few times here and there. You know, get a got a date wrong here or there. It's like, oh, not good with dates. Okay, fine. Um, but a few word choices, he kind of started one way and uh, went mm. a different way because it's, nope, I was getting the wrong word. Um, but when he was going through the cast, completely skipped over uh, McCoy and DeForest Kelly. You were thinking he was skipping... Um, a check off, but oh, second season he brings him in. Mm-hmm. But he had some um, skipped words in Nichelle Nichols. Yes, there were a few times where I think he again he just literally misspoke a little. It mm-hmm. was kind of clear where he was going. It was never I'm um, confused, but it was not the eloquent speaker that I think uh, in years past we would have. He, not as polished as he he was in years past. Yeah, because we saw him. I saw him at least at Dragon Con. Um, that would have been at least 10 years ago. I think I may have seen him there too. Yeah. And the guy, great. Smooth. Yeah, smooth. And starting to get a little rough around the edges. Again, mm-hmm. he was tired. He's not as young. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make excuses. These are facts of life. Well, um, I think the, the lesson from this is he is at the top of the must-see list because we're running out of opportunities. Absolutely. Um, He's going to have... Some days where he's more on the ball than others, just like any of us. I know I certainly have days like that. And I'm other having days, one today. Yeah. I mean, anyone listening to my podcast knows <laughs> I misspeak, I don't want to say frequently, but often enough. Yeah. So again, not being judgmental here. No. But it was one that we've seen him. I, I know how articulate he can be. Mm-hmm. He was most of that today, mm-hmm. but not all of that today. But I think he's also kind of aware of, of it. Because when he was mentioning the new cast, uh, somebody asked, how does he like John Cho playing his role? He said, yeah, that kid does all right. Um, and then he'd known him for quite a long time and mm-hmm. was very happy with the choice. Uh, but he also uh, called out Carl Urban and what a wonderful job he does capturing DeForest Kelly's mannerisms and style and is just channeling the guy. And, and so it's it's not like he had just forgotten about anybody yeah. or anything. Yeah. But... You know, in the moment, on stage, off the cuff, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you said, if you've got a chance to see him, the earlier, the better. Mm-hmm. Because, again, a lot of these older uh, actors for Trek, for uh, Star Wars and stuff, not getting any younger, they're not going to be around forever. And some of them are just a, a joy to listen to. 
One of the things he said during the panel that I'm not sure I'd heard before um, was something he had told J.J. Abrams when Abrams invited him to a breakfast and mm. wanted to feel out how uh, George felt about a non-Japanese American being hired to play the Sulu mm-hmm. role in the reboot. And he said it was never about it being a Japanese American. Gave the origin of the name Sulu, being named after the sea, touches all the countries. Yeah. And how how a lot of Asian names are very country specific. Yeah. And he rattled off this name from this country, this name from that country. And that uh, Roddenberry didn't want to kind of pick sides. Yeah. And he had told J.J. Abrams, it doesn't need to be Japanese American, needs to be Asian. Yes. You know, but as long as it's a good actor. Yeah. You know, and he's like, well, I've got somebody in mind. He's like, well, who? Oh, John Cho. And uh, George has been behind the... East-West players? East-West players, like the longest continually running minority theater group, or I forget exactly yeah, what... Yeah, something to that fact. ...in the country. Yeah. And he had known John Cho for years prior to getting cast at this. Through that... Mm-hmm. And they'd cast him a couple of times and things, thought he was a wonderful choice mm-hmm. to, to play his role. Yes, yes. Obviously, George is very um, paternal, protective, and possessive of Sulu. Uh, Rightfully so. Oh, as well he should be. Um, great, great actor, great character. And it's hard to imagine what Trek would have been like without him. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought that was a really fun panel. You know, again, he talked about the Allegiance play. At some point, we may want to check out the original cast recording of that. Definitely. Um, he also, again, talked about the, the internment camps, having been pulled out of his home at age five. And for somebody who have gone through what he's gone through and still be a very happy, joyous, he well-adjusted person. I mean, up there on stage, as well as in my brief conversation with him. He recalls vividly being five years old and having two American soldiers with guns. And bayonets. Yeah. Pound on the door and pull his family from their home. And they were taken off to the swamps of Arkansas for their first internment camp and put in behind barbed wire. I mean, at five years old, and it's not just that it's a lasting memory, but as you say, that he's this... I don't want to call him a happy-go-lucky, but that he's such an optimistic, cheerful, happy, as one questioner phrased it, constantly smiling kind of guy. Well, It's a miracle. And to have gone through that just because you look wrong. You look like the face of the enemy. Yeah. Both of his parents were... were Native Californians. Native Californians. Born and raised there. You know, so second, third generation type stuff. And... Again, I think that's part of why some of the current political climate and mm-hmm. whatnot really just doesn't sit well with him, and nor should it. It shouldn't yeah. sit well with anybody. Yeah. You know, we've we've got enough problems in the world that making new ones artificially because you don't like somebody, and not, if you don't like somebody in particular, I get that. Yeah. If you don't like it because of their religion, their race, whatever, that's just lazy. Yeah. I, I personally have no, no, no tolerance for that. I'm intolerant of intolerance. There you go. Uh, so, no, uh, he was a, a great guest, a great way to kind of um, end the convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a very full room, and I think everybody really liked what they heard Yeah, um, and enjoyed the, the panel. Yeah. He made an interesting comment. Somebody asked him if he had ever spoken during the original run of Star Trek 
with Gene Roddenberry about trying to get an episode done about LGBT issues. Yeah. And he said you had talked to him about it. And Gene's response I found fascinating because it showed how aware he was of what he was doing and the industry he was doing it in. Yeah, because the answer was basically, I got to stay on the air to get these messages out. Yeah. And apparently the uh, interracial kiss between Kirk and Uhura, half the South didn't carry it. It was their lowest rated episode because so many stations refused to even put it on the air and give it a chance to be viewed. People behind me, it's like, I can't believe that was so controversial. And it's like, that's something about their age because it was. This was 50 years ago these things were happening. There were states where it was illegal for a couple like that to get married. This would have been, I don't know, the exact timing of these things versus that that case versus the Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement and all of that. But this is when our our country was so divided over these Mm. issues. Well, the Civil Rights Act was passed in... I want to say 64, 65. I was say earlier bef- than this, because this so, would have been 66 the yeah, earliest. So this would have been very soon after it. But the fact that Gene Roddenberry knew he could push the envelope to a certain point and stay on the air. But if he went over the line. But what was fun was George's comments right after that was not kind of a sour grape, so we should have, but that he totally understood and how wonderful is it to be living in today? Yes. We haven't solved everything. We still have struggles, but we've come so far. We've still got a ways to go, but but we're getting there. Yes. Yes. And a little bit, I think, of, of uh, pride in that Star Trek helped move us in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I loved at the beginning when he was saying, look at these Star Trek fans and the way they multiply like triples. Well, and that. Again, second, third generation fans. Uh, he's very much taken the uh, the Vulcan hand salute, you know, as as part of his public persona. Mm-hmm. And given his complete agreements with kind of the Vulcan philosophy of infinite diversity and infinite combinations, and just again, he's a smart intellectual man. Yeah, very logical. It, yeah, he didn't play a Vulcan, but you know, he kind of buys in with a lot of their philosophies. Yeah. And again, it's iconic Trek. Yeah. And the fact that he's able to use it to not only entertain a room full of fans, and I don't want to say to educate them, but because I don't feel he was abusing his soapbox at all. No. He gets you thinking. Yeah. In an entertaining, uplifting manner without making you feel like you went to a motivational speaker, without making you feel like you were preached at, without making you feel like everything is a life lesson. Well, and he doesn't want to tell you the answer. He wants to pose the question and give you some information on it. Yeah. He's got a YouTube channel. Um, I forget what it's called off the top of my head. Judge for yourself or something like that. Where, again, he'll put this information out there. It's like, well, is it right? Is it wrong? Judge for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, do more research. Think about it. And again, trying to get the um, to, to get people engaged. Yeah. So again, I thought he was a great, great panelist. Uh, uh, one I recommend. We've again seen him in the past. It's been a decade or so, uh, but he was fun then. He was he was great today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty much the end of the convention for us. We yeah. chatted with uh, your professor for a little bit. Uh, again, interesting of 
anthropological study sort of viewpoint. It's like, hmm, I wonder how the away team mission went. <laughs> uh, nice guy, though. First time I think I've met him. I might have met him once before. He was at my college graduation. That's right. I, I was, thought he looked familiar. I was the first student of his to graduate. Um, no, really fun guy to hang out with today. Um, all in all, I had a, a great time at this convention. Um, recommend going to it. It's a, a kind of a big convention center worth getting the lay of the land and stuff like that. A lot of people. A lot of great guests. Though. Yes, yes. A lot of people, but rarely did it feel cramped and crowded in the hall. True. True. There are a couple of choke points in the lobby where it got a little awkward, um, but uh, they they've got the size they've got the right size venue by and large. There's not a crush factor. Yeah. Yeah. I'll it's not like San Diego where it's like, damn, I, I can't get around. Yeah, I agree. So definitely a fun convention, well worth going to, um, and one that we very well may come back to. Yeah. So anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>